This is Peter David, and you're listening to the Two True Freaks Podcast. I sense a disturbance in the force. You always sense a disturbance in the force. I don't like this. Really pissed me off. Oh no! It's a trap! Chewie, get us out of here! You can't run. Help me! R2! This is where the fun begins. And now. Together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Good morning! Nice of you guys to drop by! Alright, we're back with Star Wars Monthly Monday number... God, what is it, 28 by now? 28. 28. I'm Chris Honeywell and I'm here with Scott Gardner. Hey, how's it going? And we're here to talk some Star Wars, as we always do on these uh, the first Monday of the month. Yes. And uh, this month is going to be a little different than normal. We're still going to have the comics, but uh, actually, before we even get to the comics, you, you had some stuff that uh, you wanted to talk about? I do, actually. First, let me take a take a drink here. My throat's... <clears throat> I have a, kind of a tickle in my throat. I thought you were going to say, first, let me go take a piss here. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> I'm drinking. A, I'm drinking a Tom Palmer, by the way. Now, oh. a lot of stupid people want to call this an Ar- Arnold Palmer. You know, this half lemonade, half tea thing. Right. That's yeah. What the hell did he ever do? He just swatted a stupid golf ball around for a little while. Tom Palmer, wicked artist in comics. You know, he's 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 a hell of a lot bigger personality than than Arnold Palmer. So I'm officially renaming this drink the Tom Palmer. Well, what I think you should do is instead of renaming it, I think you should find a third ingredient to add to the lemonade and iced tea, (laughs) possibly something alcoholic. You are definitely trying to turn me into a a raging drunk, aren't you? And then then you can have, well, you know, just something to make it different. I don't know. I don't know what flavor would be necessarily comic book flavor. You know, you can pour a little ink in (laughs) there. You can can add a drop of ink to it. (laughs) I'll sprinkle a little bit of of, uh, Grunewald and Mark Grunewald into my drink and Mm. there you go. Uh, you that might was a... want to ask Mark Grunewald about that first <laughs> and see how he feels about it. <laughs> well, let's see here. Uh, I got, had... got this going to a good start yeah, there we go. this month. I got a, just a couple of quick things to uh, to touch on before we get into this. Just just a couple of things I thought were cool. As I was going into work today, it was being stapled up onto our bulletin board that uh, they're calling for Star Wars Weekends Auditions. And I was looking this over, and I was like, oh, that's cool. I should definitely audition. And then I got to looking at the list, and I'm like, hmm, I don't know about this. Because it's like, okay, right off the bat, there's female roles. Um, I don't think I'd be good for any of these. Okay, maybe so- Prince, maybe Princess Leia, but there's Princess Leia, Queen Amidala. Well, actually, Queen Amidala, with all that makeup, who the hell would know, you know? Yeah, you could Yeah, you could just get in one of those bulky outfits she had in Episode One, and... yeah. 
I've always wanted to make my hair pretty too. Make make your face all doll faced. Yeah, you could you it's could do it. Zam Wessel. <laughs> Zam Wessel. Shock T. No, I don't think so. RS you, could just, you could greet everybody. Hello, everybody, and welcome would, to Disney World. I am I could Queen Amidala. <laughs> I could be the beefiest Aura Singh you ever saw. <laughs> um, Ahsoka? No, I don't think so. Asajj Ventress? No, again, I don't think so. This is the one that really disappoints me. Luke Skywalker. They're looking for Luke Skywalker. Come on, 20 years ago, I'd have been an awesome Luke Skywalker. Now, I'm like, I don't know. You're Anakin, going on Uncle uh, Owen, man. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the one I was thinking about, actually, was Mace Windu. Uh, too much blue I, milk, man. I, th- I think I could I could pull off Mace Windu. What do you think? Huh? Oh, Mace- yeah, just fall, just fall asleep under the tanning light. <laughs> just go to bed every night under the tanning light, you know. Lie on your back one night, lie on your stomach the next night, and, and off you go. I cannot believe this, but I don't meet the minimum height requirement for either Darth Vader or Chewbacca. And well, I was Chewbacca that- for sure. Darth Vader wasn't that tall. I no, didn't I didn't think. think so. But the minimum height requirement six three, and I'm six foot right on the butt. Uh, now, although I do exceed this other one, I'm still thinking Ewok. Uh, I could be the tallest Ewok you ever saw. <laughs> You're like the. Yeah, the Ewok that like yeah I could that had the Ewok. early growth spurt or something. <laughs> Ewok King. <laughs> You're more like Ewok, Ewok freak. <laughs> Ewok giant freak, you know. It's, Remember those. If we made the biggest Brothers. human king, man, I mean Orson Welles would have at least like been president, you know. Come on. <laughs> Remember those Warner Brothers cartoons that the. the, the the three Goldilocks and the three bears, and the baby bear was this was the great giant freak. Yeah, like Baby Huey. Yeah, <laughs> I could be a baby Ewok. Oh God! <laughs> See, with a little makeup, I think I could be Bib Fortuna. They want a wonder. Yeah, absolutely. I think you could. You you I wouldn't even I have could. to get false teeth. Um, or anything. That's I think awesome. I, I I know for a fact I've done the emperor before. I've got the full like face makeup and done the whole like ah you just have to like smack your lips when you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this got me to thinking, and I oh, I'm, God, I'd love to be the emperor. No fat jokes either, damn it, because I've already heard Gamorian guard from the people I work with. Who could I be? If I was gonna, if I was ever gonna cosplay a Star Wars character, I'm trying to think who could I. I'm just, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm at a loss. Well, they must need like, no, they probably use a five oh first for stormtroopers, yeah. don't they? Yeah. Um, God, who could you be? Um, I have to think about this. You could be. You could, you, if they put a fake little like uh, Norwegian beard on you, you could be that like. General Dodonna or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> General Dodonna. Oh my God! You could be, you could be uh, Moff Gerard. <laughs> Let's see. Oh my God! Okay, moving right you along. You could be the what if? What if Grand Moff Tarkin had lived and developed an eating disorder? <laughs> I said no fat jokes. Damn it. All right, so moving right along. 
Um, I know this isn't Star Wars related, but, you know, I, I've been listening back to some of our earliest episodes recently, and it just, it, it hit me that our show, you know, for you and I personally, is just, it's an awesome little time capsule of, you know, where we were in our lives, what events were going on at certain time and everything. It's, it's, it's great, you know, it's so much better than some sort of, like, scrapbook or written record or something you right. just list back to things and go oh yeah I, okay i remember this must have been going on behind the scenes at the time you know that sort of thing so i kind of want to throw this out there almost selfishly just so i can mark the occasion so that you know years from now i can listen back and go okay this is when that happened you know but tonight i was at work you know and i was uh, uh in one of the positions i was at was um i was working what they call greeter uh, at the uh, transportation and ticket center doing the loading, uh, the load side of the express monorail to Magic Kingdom. And, you know, I'm standing there, I'm doing, you know, the, the greeter position, which is basically, you know, you say hi to everybody that comes up the platform and direct them, you know, where they go stand and wait for the gates to open and everything. And I'm doing this and I'm, I'm working with a, a fellow cast member. We're having a little chit chat. And this guy walks by me, you know, totally nondescript. You know, he's not wearing anything geeky, nothing to stand out, anything. Plain black T-shirt, blue jeans, tennis shoes, you know, nothing whatsoever to call any attention to himself. But I, he just happens to catch my eye as he's walking past me. And I turn and I look and I'm thinking, nah, nah, can't be. But it, it just I can't get the idea out of my head. And we're really not supposed to ever bother like a celebrity or anything. Like if some, you know, like a VIP comes around or anything like that, you know, we've, we've been taught, you know, you know, respect their, their space and everything, you know, don't, don't make them uncomfortable, you know, don't ask for autographs or anything stupid like that. But, you know, he was by himself and all that. And it just was one of those things. that's just like, I think I know who this is, but I'm not entirely sure. So finally I, I, screwed up my courage and I walked over and I said, um, excuse me, sir. I said, you know, you mind if I ask you a quick question? And he kind of has this, you know, a scant look and says, yeah. And, you know, I lowered my voice. I said, are you Peter David? And he just, he, he, his eyes get as big as saucers and he literally like jumps back. Like, like he was shocked, you know? And he says, how did you know that? And I said, you know, well, for one thing, you know, I've read, you know, a lot of your books I said, but, you know, you probably don't remember this. I said, but, you know, we met at Dragon Con back in 09. And I said, you know, you threw out a uh, a promo for our podcast. And that was it. You know, I was in like Flynn. We, we chatted it up, you know, while he stood there waiting for, you know, his monorail to come in so he could go to Magic Kingdom. And we're just chit-chatting about this and that. And honestly, you know, I really don't remember specifics of exactly what we talked about other than as the monorail was actually pulling up to the station... And we're kind of trying to wrap things up between the two of us. And, and by the way, he was very, very nice, very cordial, really super, super nice guy. And he goes, oh, he goes, I want to show you something. And he reaches into his back pocket and he pulls out his wallet and he opens up his wallet. And I'm thinking, please don't let him try to be tip me because, you know, we, we can't accept tips. And he reaches in and he pulls out and he's got a main gate pass card just like mine. And he's like, you know, you know that Disney bought Marvel a while back, right? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, well, you know, he goes, we're practically brothers. And he goes, you know, we, we're all, you know, basically honorary cast members, you know, because now we're part of the family. And so he was there using 
his main gate pass card that he'd gotten through his association with Marvel and he was going to go and you know enjoy the park. So I just thought it was really awesome and he got he was so tickled you know to be now part of the the Disney family and all that and I think he did, he never came right out and said it but I really got the impression that he was really touched to to be just recognized out of the crowd like that you know well so there was not really many cool. writers, I think, who are recognized, you know, unless you're right. like Stephen King or Gore Vidal or something like, you know, right. somebody who's a really famous writer. And most writers aren't, you know, 99.99999% of writers are, even if you know who their what their name is, you wouldn't know what they look like, you know? Right. So, yeah, so it probably doesn't happen to him very much outside of, say, a convention or something like that, or, you know, out of context, it probably doesn't happen at all, you know? Right. So, yeah. That that was kind of the, the impression that he gave, you know, was that, you know, he was he was really surprised, you know, that, that I had recognized him and that I, you know, that I knew who he was and all that. So, you know, he, he didn't give me at all the impression of, oh, God, here we go again or anything like that. He, he really was very, very nice about oh, the well, whole thing. It, it, well, because it probably wasn't here we go again. <laughs> right. All. It was probably just like, holy shit, you know. Well, you know, if I'd had any inkling whatsoever that, that you know, I was bothering him or what, I would have just, you know, excused myself from him, you know. Well, but he, probably he was had a very half, cool about it. He probably had a half second of like, you know, because... On some level, okay, you're almost like a security guard. You know, you've got a uniform on. Right. And when you're stopping and politely asking him, you know, to talk, and, you know, you were an MP, so you know how you, you know, you probably have a little bit of that, hello, sir, you know, in your voice. And he was probably just for a second thinking, do they somehow know that I'm a Disney employee now? You know, what, what's going? You know, are you Peter David? We just want we could tell. That Can you you're put your hands us. on the vehicle, please, sir? And one spread of, your legs. No, you were going to be like one of us. We can right. tell you're one of us. You have the one Disney aura about you now. Just <laughs> here, come come into the secret underground, you know, globular right. transportation <laughs> system, and we'll we'll you don't need to ride in this dirty monorail, sir. <laughs> he probably was just like, "What? Come the, over here, know? use the transporter." Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> where do Where do you need to go? Do you need to go to another continent? <laughs> <laughs> so that that was my, uh, you know, I was so jealous of you when you were here. You know, here I I work there now. I've now worked over you know well over a hundred days. You know, plus all the times I've been there in the past. You know, on vacations and things like that never met a celebrity you know you're there five minutes and met one you know i was like ah. so now i finally met my first celebrity and i thought that eh. yeah but i there's something i have awesome. luck with i have really good luck with that i don't know what it is but i but i didn't i didn't say anything to my celebrity i just like it was like being a bird watcher you know it was just like you know maybe i should have taken a little you know picture you know, just to prove it, but that would have been weird too. You know, but it was just like, ah, there he is. Doc. It's like going to New York City. You don't, you don't walk up to the celebrities in New York City. You go, ah, okay, there's a Michael Keaton, and there's, you know, Kurt right. Rangett walking down the street or whatever. You just sort of note it in your mental, you, and you can, you can tell yourself, ah, you know, light particles that fell upon that celebrity bounced off them and onto my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I am special now. <laughs> All right, last little thing I had before we get into the uh, the main part of the show here is you'll remember last time around we had the Irredeemable Shag was on with us and we covered the uh, the Shira Bry saga. 
And we, we really talked up that awesome, awesome, awesome cliffhanger where uh, at the end of one of the issues, Darth Vader, you know, it's a full page splash, comes walking out of the light, you know, calling to Luke, you know, Luke Skywalker, I have come for you and all that. Well, I was looking at the latest issue of um, Star Wars Insider, and they had a little article about in there about the next volume of the uh, Star Wars Omnibi that are reprinting, you know, all this Marvel Star Wars material. The third volume is going to be coming out. Guess what's the cover to the third volume? Oh, really? It's that that's picture. Hilarious. Yeah, isn't that awesome? That is awesome. And that's going to cover this whole era. It's going to go from issue, I think it's issue 50 through like 67 or something like that. So it's totally totally this we era are. we've just yeah. covered or, or you know, are covering right now. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's All awesome. That's so I, I hope you guys, you know, that, that if you don't already own this material or whatever, I, I hope you'll support these... Uh, these Omnibi that are coming out and pick those up because uh, I've gotten the first two so far and they are really, really nice. They're very affordable. You get a lot of comics for not a lot of money and they're beautifully recolored and re-rendered and they, they're just, they're really gorgeous. They're totally worth the money. Um, but especially this third volume that's going to be coming out, you know, as we've said many, many times, this stretch right here, you know, from 50 to what we're covering right now is some of the best stuff of the whole run. Really, really beautiful stuff. So, you know, you, you have no further to look than just that cover. That cover should suck you right in. It's it's Darth Vader walking out of the light, you know, and holding out his hand, and it's just gorgeous. So check that out. And that's all I got. So now, you, uh, you have a little announcement about uh, something, right? Yeah. Um, well, you know... This is definitely going to be a different show, and once again, we're neglecting the Clone Wars. Yeah, I feel I feel bad, but we'll we'll get together with our pal Todd, and we'll do a whole bunch of them coming up. Because God, I want to get I, I'd love to get caught up with those. Although, man, that's a lot of Clone Wars. Because I just watched the episode a little while ago that had uh, Tarkin in it, so that was pretty interesting. Yeah. I don't know if you're caught up, but Tarkin has shown up and. Yeah, I just got caught up the other day, and uh, yeah, I would like to get caught up to this latest season because I, I've I've had for the first time since I started watching Clone Wars. Yeah, um, I've say. had some real issues with some of the Me things too. they're doing. So yeah, Me too. It was like it was like the season started off strong. This is the third season we're talking about here. So to start it out strong. Then it started getting a little wishy-washy. Then it got really fishy for a while. Then it came back strong, and now it's sort of in the Midland area for me. But it's still interesting. It's back on track for me. It was real. It really was going off the rails for a while. And yeah, and you know, I, I, you could tell I, I want to talk about it, but we'll have yeah. to wait. You'll have to wait. Yeah, we definitely need to do it. It's funny you should mention that because on my drive home tonight, I was thinking about Todd and and really, Todd, if you're listening, I promise we're not neglecting you, buddy. We haven't forgotten about you. Well, we are neglecting you, but we haven't forgotten about you. How about that? So, yeah, we have not forgotten about the Clone Wars segment, but yeah, maybe. Talk about what you what you got coming on because this if is Todd, exciting. If Todd was our kitty cat, he'd be like half dead with his head in the dinner bowl, going like, "Where are they? <laughs> I'm hungry." Um, <laughs> yeah. The, um, so we're gonna do the comics, and then after the show, uh, it's a it's pre-recorded, but I have recorded an interview with uh, 
the soon-to-be legendary Jamie Benning, or as people might know him, Jambe Davdar is his name on YouTube. Yeah. And he's the creator of a, basically a trilogy of fan films on the original Star Wars trilogy that he did in sort of inside-out order. He did the Empire one first, but in order of the movies, it, there's Star Wars Begins, Building Empire, and Returning to Jedi. And uh, he actually did Empire Begins first, then Returning to Jedi, and then finished it off with Star Wars with Begins. Star Wars Begins. And uh, which he just finished out, and now at the end of Star Wars Begins, he's been getting a lot of uh, attention for it, and rightly so. He's it's sort of like I'll, I'll describe him for because you'll hear it in the interview. It's basically they're like the great. He's come up with sort of the greatest format for like a DVD extra of a movie, right? Like if you were watching, it, he's sort of taken the DVD extras of a movie. And combine them with the movie. It's it's a really neat thing, and there, there I there will be if you go to our Libsyn page, or even if you want to be even cooler and come and sign up for our uh, forum. Uh, I'll I'll post the the first parts of all three of those movies, and then you can follow them to YouTube, and you can watch the whole movie there for free all the way through. And uh, they're very 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 good, and I'm very happy to say, to say that we got an interview with him and I'm also very proud to say that the two true freaks were the first people to contact him about doing an interview and then after that the rest of the followers in the world you know <laughs> began to bombard him with requests so by the time we actually got around to doing an interview with him he'd had done a whole slew of them so uh, uh, yeah after we get done with the comics it'll be a short break and then you get to hear uh my interview with uh, Jamie Benning, and uh, he was a really nice guy, and uh, he promised to come back on the show to talk about whatever extras are included on the Star Wars Blu-ray, and to give his his opinion on what, the, what what's up with the Star Wars Blu-ray and what he thinks of that. So that should be really interesting. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I, w- I, was re- I really regretted that I couldn't make that, because I've seen... Um, the first two, the Building Empire and Returning to Jedi. I have not yet um, seen all of uh, Star Wars Begins, but yeah, I highly recommend those as I think the finest Star Wars documentaries I've ever seen. I mean, they're very informative, very entertaining, really, really good stuff, and infinitely better than anything I've seen that actually has come from professionally done. You know, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Because so, yeah. this guy, you know, it's a fan, and and it shows that he's really, really, really bringing the love. You know, yes, it's, it's awesome. He brings the love, but not a slavish, you know, um, fawning, right? Uh, sort of love. You know, it's 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 also not a hard critical eye either. It's it's just he sets the strikes a perfect tone with them and uh yeah they're 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 addictive little youtube watches at you know nine to seven minutes each you know each part of them you know they're all broken up into like 16 or 17 parts and you say yeah yeah i'll watch a couple of these and then you know pretty soon you've you're you're halfway through the next movie you know and going (laughs) damn this is awesome (laughs) so yeah Go to our Libsyn page and uh, you'll see them there or go to our forum even better because then you can get suckered into actually talking with us. Not even face-to-face, but cyber-face-to-cyber-face. 
But I think it's time to get down to my task. I am synopsizing, and I don't want this to sound too momentous because it's not, but this is the first the first Star Wars comic I bought when um, I got back into buying comics. And it sort no, of reminds I... me a little bit, uh, you know, I was thinking about it today, and, you know, I, I originally bought comics because of Star Wars because I wanted to read Star Wars comics. And I would read them like, you know how when you're a kid you get comics, you trade them with friends or, you, you know, but I didn't go out and buy them until I met you and you're the one, you you know, you and the combination of you and you introducing me to Walt Hadley, uh, you know, got me going to the cigar store to buy buy comics. So this was about, you know, this was this was a little later on in that, but this was when I started buying Star Wars comics. Again, month by month was this issue, uh, number 64. You're sure this is the one? Because when we talked the other night, you had said something about the fish people, like with the bubble heads and all that. And that comes along a little bit later than this one. Well, because you know why? And I was thinking about that. As soon as I started reading this, I was like, holy cow, that's right. These aren't because Scott and I were talking the other day and I'm like, all I remember about it was it was another one of those ones with the reverse you know, Aqualung, where you had, right. you know, you know, you had amphibious people with, you know, spacesuits filled with water, but that was not the case at all in this comic, and that's just sort of a testament to how I don't want to be a spoiler, but how forgettable this actual issue of Star Wars is. <laughs> and now that now that I think about it, it's like it's a good thing I was young <laughs> when this came out. Right. Or I probably wouldn't have been buying Star Wars again, <laughs> you know, yeah, month this, by month. Because <laughs> this, this is a, this couldn't you couldn't have picked many worse episodes to be the one to jump on with. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so, it's not Space John Carter, Warlord of Mars, but it's not that far away, and as right. we'll see in a few <laughs> short seconds here. Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away. There exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire. This is their story. Stan Lee presents Star Wars, the greatest space fantasy of all. So we have Star Wars number 64, October 1982. We have a cover by um, Brzezlowski and Anderson. And uh, I don't know what Anderson's first name would be. But oh, you know what? I looked this up earlier today and now I don't remember. Possibly Brent, but I, I'm Brent sorry. Brent Anderson sounds right. Um, I don't remember. So um, inside we've got... Um, Michael Fleischer has plotted this, and, and Michelini's written the actual s- script. And um, we've got the dream team of of artists, Brzezowski <laughs> and Coletta, your favorite inker in the world, has come to save the day on this one. Yay! Um, Joe Rosen, Joe Rosen, letters. 
uh, Glennis Wine Colors. Um, is it Jim Salakrip? I just wrote Salakrip, but it's Jim Salakrip, right? It was the editor. Yeah, I believe that's right. Yeah, and of course, Jim Shooter's the uh, editor and you know the figurehead editor in chief guy. And this was a sixty cent cover price, two quarters and a dime, or two quarters and two nickels. So, all right, I'll try to keep this short. <laughs> Luke and two other rebels, Burl. Um, I don't know if his last name was Ives or not, Ives. but I'd like to think <laughs> I so. I knew one of us was going to make that joke. Silver and gold, <laughs> silver and gold. That should have been the two X-Wing teams that went on this mission. It should have silver been gold, and gold team and silver team. <laughs> Nothing. So, Luke and two other rebels, <laughs> Burl and Cinda Tarheel... Are, who's obviously from the Tar Heel state, are sent to the lizard planet Surfiti to recruit the populace to the rebellion. On their arrival, they're attacked by TIE fighters, which somehow are just flying around Surfidia because there's no other Imperial presence for the rest of the, the comic. And uh, so they, they engage with the TIE fighters, and Cinda is shot down and has to crash land on Surfiti. But, you know, lands unharmed, but her ship's trashed. And, uh... What is that? Surfy. Oh, God. It's just one of those words. Yes. Surfy. So, uh... I went to the beach and was surfity. <laughs> I was surfity the internet the other day, and I saw pictures of a naked lady. <laughs> Anyway, she's shot down on the planet Surfiti, but she's unharmed, but her ship is just smashed to shit. So they're attacked by <laughs> natives who are called Surfidians, and who are in metal armor and riding weird lizard creatures. Burl's killed, and Cinda's captured, and Luke escapes to fight another day. Meanwhile... You know, as he as he escapes, he finds an old uh, Surfiti man who's being eaten by a carnivorous plant. So Luke frees him and um, sort of finds out the old guy loves to talk his ass off because the guy gives him the whole, basically, history of the whole planet, which is Surfiti was a very highly technological planet, and then blah, 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 their technology started turning into weapons in war, blah, blah, blah. They decided not to use this technology and, you know, to live simply and to have war games every once in a while to, to, to you know, just sort of exercise their warlike nature, but, you know, done with, with crude fighting instruments. But the, the current dictator has sort of... And whoever... Oh, by the way, whoever wins in these battles gets to lead the planet. And the current leader has decided to cheat and use old technology to give him his fighters the advantage. So... This this old Surfiti guy, you know, takes on Luke as his squire to to train him in in what is I guess some sort of blood joust, and uh, so he dresses Luke up in armor and uh, begins to train him. So, of course, this armor is exactly like you know Prince Valiant style armor. Meanwhile, uh, the Surfiti king has Cinda, and he's dressed her in a space bikini and has announced to her that basically she's the main course, and actually she's going to be sort of a halftime snack at the uh, Death Games that <laughs> night. 
and uh, she's basically going to be like nachos and, and or, or chicken wings, basically, at the Super Bowl for this guy. <laughs> little, little, some finger food, which is which is hilarious because he's talking to her about you know how she must be dressed properly to uh, to uh, quench his hungers, and the first thing you think is like, "Ooh, quench his hungers," and then you're thinking, "Ah, oh, no, she's going to serve him food," and then it's like, "Oh, no, not really." She's going to serve him food, like, off her own bones. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so she's not really into that. But, of course, you know, at the Death Games, um, the, old, the old dude bows out and claims, like, you know, he's, his lumbago is, is, you know, acting up or something. <laughs> and, Luke, and has his squire fight for him. And the king, seeing it's Luke, is like, oh, whatever, we'll have the Elfworlder fight and die soon. And... Of course, Luke, being a Jedi knight in his actual knight outfit, um, wins the jousting match and pretty much ends up being king of Serfidia, which uh, he you know passes on to the old wise Serfidi guy, which I think is crazy because that guy could have been nuts. Luke doesn't know that guy. That guy could be the next Hitler, you know. But you know, <laughs> or, or Surfid, space Hitler, or whatever we're talking here. And so now, you know, of course, since this guy's the king, that you know, mission accomplished. Uh, the the rebellion has a new ally in the planet Surfidi. And I just want to go back for a moment to space Hitler. I think we should write that space comic. Hitler, space Hitler. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. <laughs> Now you see With a that, good jazzy '70s theme song to it. I there think there could be you, I, you could probably you know Scott you could probably write up a treatment and probably sell that to a major studio. And I Depending want, on the 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 you know what the story to Space Hitler is, but the concept of Space Hitler is yeah, it could be done. You know, somebody's. You know, if you follow the whole they saved Hitler's brain thing and somebody's got some genetic material and makes a, a space Hitler <laughs> that has to be fought by the space allies, you know. I definitely know that I want Vinny Coletta to ink the comic book adaptation. <laughs> I mean... I mean, many times people have said Star Wars was World War II in space. You know, the the way the way they're making movies nowadays, somebody might as well just literally do it. You know, right? They might as well even just sell it as a World War II movie, and people will be there going, "I don't did I really was World War II fought in space?" (laughs) Okay, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) That's pretty cool. Anyway, on to this wonderful, wonderful comic. Sarcasm. Where I, th- I think the best thing about this comic is the cover's not half bad. Mostly because you really can't make out the the, <laughs> the lobotomized Luke in the, in the <laughs> eyes of the Surfiti on the cover. He's The coloring makes it very hard to see him. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's about it. The art in this it has, it's just like, by what is it page three or four well first of all one of the things that made me think they're just half-assing it is there's a frame of princess leia talking and briefing them at the beginning and she's in front of a screen that has a grid pattern on it 
and I don't I don't know if you were reading the, how if you're reading this in an omnibus where they might affix this. But the grid pattern superimposed. I got the. Yeah. I've got the real. The grid pattern superimposed over her word balloon. This yeah, is kind of sloppy. The the omnibuy that this will be in. I don't think. I think it's going to be that volume three, and I don't think that's out yet. I, I think that that it was basically being pimped in that Star Wars mm-hmm. Insider I was just looking at. At the bottom yeah. of this page, I don't think they were trying to pay tribute to all the way back to Star Wars number one or some of the worst of. Um, uh, some of the worst Carmine Infantino portrayals of C-3PO. <laughs> C-3PO, but yeah. But yeah, C-3PO's got that fucked up, just fucked. In the sec- middle frame, okay, he looks okay, but the head-on shots of C-3PO just make him, they make him look like this guy I used to work with named Keith Handy. <laughs> for for what that's worth. And Burl Ives, God, that mustache is just, I thought Burl Ives was going to live just because he seemed like an interesting character. He he sort of looks like your Uncle Ronnie with a with a little pencil mustache on there. <laughs> but I thought he was going to be, I thought he might be an ongoing character. Be, and, and this Cinda, I'm thinking, are they, were they like, people really like Shira Bry. We need another strong right. female character in here besides Princess Leia. Because she's, she's, a, she's a scrapper. You know, she almost fights her way out of her uh, her captivity. You know, she doesn't give up for a second. She's kind of she's kind of a badass. So I don't know if they were maybe like you know trying to get her to be a character, but man, you know what this art reminds me of? Spidey stupid stories. Yes, totally. It, it totally yeah. reminds me of a kiddies comic. You know, and here we have an example of. Where the spaceships aren't drawn really horribly, they're drawn fairly well, but the way that they are, the way that it's composed, even though it's a space battle, it's not very exciting. It's you know, lifeless, it makes you really yeah. wish, miss Walt Simonson because it's like, okay, these are these are competently drawn. You know, sometimes the details on the X wings leave a little to be desired, but they're not bad. It's the you know, uh, I mean, this guy's. His his characterizations are very bland. Like his faces are, you know, out of a a fifties romance comic or something, you know. Mm-hmm. And there there's just not very much detail to the faces and stuff. But the you know the ships and in the the backgrounds and the and stuff are are not bad. But it just doesn't work. It's just not very, composed very well. It's stiff. Even when the art hasn't been working well before, it hasn't been stiff like this. You know what I mean? That right. And then once you get to the part where Luke's dressed up like a knight, and you have Prince Valiant, you know, except it's like Prince Valiant and the lizard guy. You know, I mean, literally, there's a shot of the old Surfiti guy throwing a net over Luke, and he's got a mace in his hand. You know, it's like okay, I can see. You know, if they're going to be knights, why does their armor have to be, you know, have the same breastplates and the sort of little chainmail skirt that goes over the front? You know, why? Right. Why? Why is that? You know, why would it? Why would it be like that? You know, why doesn't it have cool little knobs and you know and spikes on it or something like that? You know, that's it's everything's very. Medieval. Yeah, it's very much like, okay, it's, uh, you know, when when he dresses her up to get her ready to be the snack, she's in a little, you know, a princess outfit with a pointy cap with little flirt, you know, flutey flutes hanging off it and stuff. And although I thought it was funny that when they do finally joust, the joust things make fart noises because I always 
Um, <laughs> I, was just so, I always associate brap with farts. And, <laughs> and everything's going brap in there. So these things make nice fart noises when they when they shoot. But it's just... It's just uh, there's even a court jester in his little pointy yeah. hat, and, you know. Come on, come on. I mean, uh, yeah. Just no, no. It's no good. He's no good, man. He's no good, Ning. <laughs> you know. And then there's a little sappy at the end where they all remember Burl. You know the. At, at least so in Star Wars, the red shirts get, you know, memorialized. Uh, you know, you ne- they never took a second at the end of any Star Trek episode to go, yeah, you know, poor, you know. Jonesy. Yeah, yeah. poor Jonesy, you know. He never knew he was going to get tossed down in a hole when he signed up for Star, you know, Starfleet by a giant robot. But no, <laughs> nothing, nothing. All they get is like, <laughs> and then like somebody, Jonesy's dead. And that's that. Nobody ever goes, oh, Miss Jonesy, he was a good man. He was doing, you know, <laughs> let's never forget he died while on duty. We should be proud of him. No, nope, nothing. Just a, <laughs> usually a little joke between Spock, Kirk, and McCoy. <laughs> Downright rude. And even uh, there's a bonus. In, even the bonus in this is half-ass, which, uh, you know, it has a... Um, one of the British covers in the back of it as like a, you know, bonus pinup. And it's a, it's a Walt Simonson. It says it's Walt Simonson. It sure but looks I'll like eat uh, my hat if that's Walt Simonson. Cause it looks to me like that's totally Carmine Infantino. Well, Carmine Infantino is doing all the covers for this time period, you know, when these were coming out, you know, right. And, uh, I don't have this one, but like all the ones that I've got are pretty much, uh, the majority of them are. I mean, Walt Simonson might have inked this because by, by looking at the the big, thick, inked rocks and stuff, but when you look at Luke's mouth, that's not a Walt Simonson mouth unless no. somebody's just bitten into a lemon or something. <laughs> right. <You know? laughs> that's, yeah, I know. That's I, I wondered about that too. And it's not even the greatest cover of a star. You know, it looks very like a very rushed-off, it looks like they actually just took the sketch, you know, or the half-completed art for the Star Wars Weekly and and popped it in there. Maybe they were a page short on the story or something. I don't know. But, yeah, yeah. the sooner we forget it, the sooner we put this one behind us, probably the better. I just, <laughs> well, I've got a couple I'm questions say, on this one. My first reaction was, well, what the hell happened to the trial of Luke Skywalker? I mean, this is totally one of those, you know, can you say fill-in issue, kids? Because it's totally a fill-in, and it comes, it's a poor fill-in, and it's poorly placed, you know, because it it breaks up the the whole rhythm of the of the Shira Bry slash trial of Luke Skywalker story, you know, yeah. the whole Pariah story. Well, so it just it, really it just makes you think fit. that there was some, you know, scheduling mitigating circumstances that had nothing to do with anything of that that put this one out right. when it is, you know. Right. Um, it's funny what you said about the covers because uh, one of my notes is that this is one of my least favorite covers of the entire series. I really don't like this cover. I didn't say it was good. I just said it was one of the better things about this issue. Well, <laughs> that's true. That is true. Because uh, well, who did I say the inker was when you were – you said Anderson. Anderson. Did I, Brent? Did I say Brent? Because it is Brent. 
if that's what I said. But it is Brent. I looked it up. Anyway, now what really shocks me on this, it double sho- double shocks me because, you know, you've got Michael Fleischer did the plot on this one. Now, I like Michael Fleischer. I mean, he did the, the vast bulk of Jonah Hex comics, you know, and I'm a huge Jonah Hex fan. But, you know, my, my double shock comes from the fact that this is really not a very good issue. So it's like, you know, his Jonah, one turn. It's different, or, different animals in Star yeah, Wars. His, his first turn at Star Wars, and it's really kind of a kind of a dud. Um, well, he just wrote the plot, though, right? He didn't right, write right. The, he didn't write any of the dialogue or anything like that. But still... Well, with a decent artist, this actually might have been a, a, a good issue because a lot of the, the criticisms with the goofiness of the story come from the fact, like you were saying, that, you know, yeah, you know, it may involve kings and knights and squires, but Jesus, do you have to draw them like they're, you exactly, know... Exactly, like Earth you're at the ones? Renaissance Fair, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> On page... Uh, now, the pages aren't numbered, but I counted them through just for reference here. Page three... Panel one, Arbor's looking kind of tattooing like in that panel right there. It's it's all rocks and desert, and you've got you know one of the hujibs sitting on a on a rocky shelf. I mean, this is supposed to be a forest planet, right? Yeah. Well, I, it's I can't always see been the really, forest. I mean, there, there was, are no trees, right? No, it was always it was like the only part that was like kind of rocky was the inside of that cave, right? And it looks like Pliff is sort of could be looking from inside of a cave, maybe. And maybe it's dark out, so it looks like I don't know, but it does look like tattoo. It looks like a desert, like moon-like plain outside, right. and that, and and Arbor's been pretty lush up until now. Right. On uh, on page five, the the big battle page. Now you were commenting about the the ships, and it's funny. I had the same thought when I was reading it that everything's it's perfectly functional. It's just not exciting. And you know what it looks like? It, it, it looks like those Presto Magics forms that we used to yes. have. Yes. You know, where you could put the ships on the page, but you couldn't really make them flow. Well, like the, good- yeah, they weren't all drawn in the same perspective and anything <laughs> like that in the Presto Magic. So, like, they didn't always look like they were operating in the same planes or the same perspective. and every, You know what I mean? Right. And that's how this looks, I think. I, I well, think they got the perspective and the planes right. But it's just what they're doing and how they're doing it are very. It looks it, everything looks like it's in straight lines. It's just straight lines of right. It's it's a it's a subtlety that that it's the difference between a decent artist and a great artist. Someone like Walt Simonson takes the visual style of the movie and makes you look at that and makes your brain see the stuff flying around like it does in Star Wars. Where in here it's like, it's like he has the the concept of what the what the ships are, and so okay, so you would point these two ships at each other and have them shoot each other. Not that it looks terrible, but yeah, it's just not very exciting, not very dogfight. You know, and dogfighting is like one of the great things about Star Wars is right. You know, one of the one of the always the big set pieces of Star Wars is some kind of dogfight. And, you know, this is exciting. One of them gets shot down and has to crash land and all that, but it's just very meh. And, and the big battle where they're battling the 
you know, where the where where the the surfiti come in and attack them, you know, I, I, I you could you could take this and directly compare it to when they go back to Shira Bry's homeworld the first time and all the you know that all the those guys the those lizard people start coming at them. It's a very similar situation with like, oh, we're way outnumbered and stuff. You don't see it in here, though. You see like two or three guys on, on lizard back, and just very when when they're actually battling, there's very little actually drawn. Most of it is the is white space created by lasers hitting something, so it's just very sterile and. Right. And you don't get a feeling of, of battle of like, oh, one person just got shot, one person got captured, and there's too many for Luke to even stay behind and fight. Because Luke could kick, you know, these are, you know, I mean, you know, we're talking Ash and his boomstick versus, you know, medieval screwheads here. <laughs> so there should be a whole horde of them. And, and, in the, and, and okay, this is what... This is what annoys me about this. If this were a weekly TV show, live action TV show, I could understand having the lizard people have regular armor because you could go to the Renaissance Fair and film it and you already have this stuff in wardrobe. And, you know, why you would only have two two lizard men on horseback or on lizard back... Um, attacking Luke because you can't afford to have 500 of them but it's a comic book so you can draw anything you want you know what I mean you can draw right. a whole shitload of these guys coming at them and you can draw your 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 costume differently than uh, you know I don't know I'm done bitching <laughs> it's your turn to bitch <laughs> I already had my turn to bitch did you notice that the uh, on the X-Wings that the lasers are firing out of the engines instead of out of the uh, laser things at the end of the wings? That that was that was weird. I remember that. That was like I always when you know when you were kids and all the kids there was that time period of Star Wars when all the kids would you know be drawing in their notebooks when they're supposed to be taking notes and they'd be drawing X-wing fighters and enterprises right. and stuff like that. I always saw that as like a freshman mistake was when the kids would draw the X-wings and have the have the bullets coming out of the out of the engines or out of the nose cone, you know. Right, yeah. We we saw that a lot during the the Infantino era mm-hmm. where they had the lasers coming out of the nose. Didn't the toy when you press the button and it made the little wee sound. It lit up sound. on the nose. Yeah, it yeah. lit up on the nose, didn't it? Yeah. It flashed, I yeah. So. Yeah. I just remembered that. I, I had totally forgotten about that until now. Well, I thought the uh, on page six that, uh, what is it, the fifth panel there of the, of the crash, it, it actually looks kind of cool how they have, it's like a clean break where the where the wings are just sheared right off on the side. I'm not sure that's how it would really happen. Oh well, it was. You know, yeah, it, it makes you think that the cool. the ship is a little modular. Modular, maybe, you yeah. Know, that you can just like, yeah. I thought that was kind of neat. Um, kind of reminds me of the toys. <laughs> yeah, very much so. On page seven, when when Burl is getting blasted, doesn't it almost look like his head's popping off? Yeah, well, I, that was sort of a common thing with bad artists. Like this reminds me of. Uh, <laughs> Um, what's his name? Like, was it Herb Trimpey or Larry Hama? Yeah. Those guys. And, and, you know, somebody would get shot with a laser or something and they would do that, you know, you would, yeah, their head would be over the blast, you know, and it's sort of like, 
Yeah, it's very weird. It's almost like they got beheaded or something, you know. Right, right, exactly. Well, I, you know, I, I think it's important to point out, I don't think that Joe Brozowski's a bad artist. I think he's just, he's he's teamed with, you know, the worst inker is is the large problem. I think if he'd had the right inker on this, I don't know that Joe Brozowski's right for Star Wars, but I don't dislike his art. So I, I think it's a matter of you've got, an artist that's ill-suited to Star Wars, then he's teamed with, let's face it, just a bad inker, you know, and it, and it gives it that double whammy. And then when you start adding in aliens at the Renaissance Fair, it just it adds up to a, a pretty poor issue. It's 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 just shame because it it could have been a good one. Yeah, it's no uh, wonder I don't remember anything about it. Even when yeah. I was reading it, it wasn't like, oh yeah, I remember it, this. It was just like, yeah, well, I remember same, the yeah. cover. <laughs> Same for me. I, I I made it all the way through it without any of it ever coming back to me. So this is a this is an easily forgettable issue. I think it's worth noting though that uh, we we have a slave girl in Star Wars long before Slave Leia. Yeah, yep. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yep, that whole sort of scene plays out. Except I don't think Jabba the Hutt. Well, he might have ended up eating Leia later. Who knows what <laughs> could have gone on with that? It even has a it even has a slave lizard surfiti lady. Who yeah. has a, I guess, her, unless she's a different species or something, but she has an actual lizard head with a snout where the rest of them sort of have a flat face like a human. She's got a snout and a nose and, you know, the, the sort of dog shaped lizard head where the men are sort of fish head guys. She's not bad from the neck down, though. Sure. <laughs> okay, imagine that lizard. You don't mind Gorn women, you know. Yeah, that, exactly. <laughs> I'll make it quick and merciful. <laughs> She's cold-blooded, though. Yeah. Now, did you notice that Luke ends up winning the day by throwing his shield Captain America style? Yes. Yeah. Um, I, You know, I could go on, but ultimately I, I'm going to go with my final note on this issue, which was... Ugh. My, my final note is brap. <laughs> Ultimately, I, I this issue ended up making me feel like I owed the listeners an apology because I said there weren't going to be any more really bad issues. But I, no, I don't. Think I believe was... I believe you couched your your phrase and said there weren't that many. All right, all right. Really well, I, I hope I did because now you, the next I know one... you did mention that there were a few ro- bumps in the road coming up a few road bumps all right well i'm glad if, if i did a couple quick things i thought the letters column had a couple of uh, interesting things here Let me flip back to it real quick we had there's one here from a t morris it says it seems to me that han and leia go together like jawas go with wampas <laughs> i thought that was interesting just because that, that kind of owes into something we were talking about a long, long time ago about, you know, did we really think that Han and Leia... Did they get married and live happily ever after and have kids and have a house and a car? Yep, right. exactly. Jeffrey Hart wants to see uh, tales told from the Empire's point of view, and he'd have to wait a hell of a long time for it, but that was basically what Star Wars Empire was, and that was a really good series. And then the last one in here was a good uh, letter, too. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it was from Alicia Wu. And basically, she had a really strong reaction to them. so. Uh, off Shira, Shira Bry. So I guess yeah. so. Yeah, I like that. I thought that was pretty cool. 
Um, and then did you notice on the back cover, there's an ad for uh-huh. Star Wars, the Empire Strikes Back video game cartridge. Yeah. And I, I guess I never really thought about this very much until uh, the other day I had occasion to look. I think it was a wiki or something like that. And it was a list of Star Wars video games because I was trying to put the put together a chronology of um, Kyle Katarn. Who, who originated in video games. Uh-huh. And as I was looking at that list, it's, it suddenly occurred to me, this game right here was the first Star Wars video game. And I just, I guess I never consciously realized that. I guess before. you're right, wasn't it? Yeah. We played the shit out of this game. Uh, so, yeah, I thought yeah, that we was... had to shoot the little, little tiny slit in the walker. I remember that, and you had to land on the little flat parts to recharge every yep. once in a while. Game was a bitch too. Yes, it was. I was back in those days when video games didn't have an end. You played till you died, you know, and that was the whole point. It's just you know how far could you get and how much you yeah. know how many points could you rack up before you inevitably died, and it would get hard because it'd get faster. And then uh, there was a setting where you could make the walkers solid so you couldn't f- just fly through them all the time, and man, it was it was challenging. But I, I liked that. It was kind of like. It's kind of like Star Wars meets uh, what was that game? Defender, because it yes. had kind of the same kind of feel to the to the controls and everything. I thought that was cool. Yeah, so you're flying over a, along a landscape, you know, and you could you could you could fly right and left, you know, you could yeah. change direction and and fire, which was awesome. And you could go off the some... screen one direction and come back on it in the other direction and stuff. Yep. That was kind of a, a novelty in, in games at that time, too. That's pretty much all I've got on that one. What else you got? That's about all I got. I'm ready to... I, I'm more than ready to move on to the next one. <laughs> all right. All right, let's wash that it. taste out of our mouths. Exactly. Well, let's see what we think of the next one here. We've got uh, Star Wars number 65. And you know what this means? This means we only have 42 issues left in the series. We are well more than halfway through. Way more, yeah. Uh, That kind of makes me sad. Anyway, this is the November 1982 issue, covered by Tom Palmer. And uh, it's a good one. I like this one. You've got uh, Leia in the foreground, and you've got her being pursued by uh, Lieutenant Guile. And he's kind of ducking around. He's he's kind of making this weird pose in the background. He's uh, cradling his Han Solo laser pistol. And it's all kind of shaded this pinky red color. And in the background, it says reactor critical 60 seconds to meltdown. And it's, it's pretty neat. I like the cover on this one. Leia's and, in her tight, form-fitting white outfit. It, yeah. Can't beat that. It, it, yes. Oh, yeah. And it also says... Uh, it goes back to uh, plugging the uh, trial of Luke Skywalker, so we're finally going to get the resolution on this. Uh, let's see. Original cover price, $0.60. Cents. David Michelini, plot and script. Walter Simonson, plot and storyteller. Tom Palmer, pencils and inks. Joe Rosen, letters. Glennis Wine, colors. Louise Jones, editor. Jim Shooter, clone ranger. I like that. Story is entitled, Gullrath Never Forgets. This one I actually remembered. I actually did remember that because I remember an element of this story that I always thought was really, really cool, but we'll get to that in a minute. Okay, so Luke Skywalker on trial. The charges, murder, theft, desertion, and treason. The triad of judgment reconvenes. And I, I think this begs the question, 
when the hell did this ever convene in the first place? That's yeah, never, I, I don't that's remember it convening. <laughs> Princess Leia, General Riken, and General Virtag. Can you guess which one of these people was invented for this issue? They uh, hear the, the one case. that sounds like a swear word. Yeah, Virtag. <laughs> While a tense rebel base watches, the verdict is decided. Luke Skywalker is not guilty. I had you there for a minute, didn't I? We were wondering about that. Oh, no, I thought they executed him. (laughs) Yeah. That's why Jedi was so out of continuity. It pissed me off. (laughs) So anyway, Luke is reinstated, and everyone, except for Milo Four-Star, is pretty okay with it. Pals Gemmer and Thorben are chatting about it as they walk through the corridors when uh, Gemmer heartily yawns and his buddy uh, teases him about it. Uh, or about the trial not being that dull, rather. And Gemmer says that he can't help it that he didn't get much sleep last night because his souvenir paperweight from their last rebel base on the planet Galrath kept him up all night making weird flashing lights. So Thorben's very concerned about this, and he practically drags his friend off to go check this out. So meanwhile, Luke and Leia have a tender moment wherein she sympathizes about how hard it must have been for Luke to be totally alone through all of his ordeal. And Luke admits that it was hard, and he's still dealing with the uh, ramifications of the loss of you know, his sort of girlfriend, Shira Bry, and the subsequent revelations about her. But having Leia as his fallback girl is kind of helping him out. However, before things get too hot and heavy, and really, really creepy... They are interrupted by an urgent summons from Thorben. Come quick, he essentially says. Shit's going down. So it turns out that the unique rocks of Galrath, when they cool, give off light that they've collected while they were in their magma phase or something like that. The uh, group is treated to a playback of the Crimson Forever storyline from uh, issue 50 and realize that if the Imperials ever discover Galrath or the ex-rebel base there, that the rocks might give up vital plans or charts or something like that that'll lead the bad guys right to them. So it's back to Golrath. Princess Leia hooking up with Gen- with Dodonna in the back room somewhere. <laughs> that's why. That's why she's like taking this personally. <laughs> so it's back to Golrath for Luke and his squad of crack X-wing fighter pilots. However, on Golrath, the recently demoted Imperial Lieutenant Guile has already discovered the abandoned base. And pretty quickly, the plot is thickened by their discovery of the light-recording properties of the rocks. Fearing rebels may show up to destroy Golrath Station, an amazing bit of deductive reasoning, I might add, or maybe just a, a vast leap in logic, take your pick. But, you know, just the thought that well, he's how like, about the timing of it, too? You yeah, know? Well, yeah, I guess that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, it's it's just, yeah, the timing's a little convenient for all that. You know, because this was months ago. But his first concern is, hmm, if they find this out, they're go- they'll come and attack us, which is exactly what happens. So anyway, he orders um, TIE fighters to be dispatched to patrol the skies in case this attack ever happens. And of course it's going to, you know. So the X-Wings, they show up. Luke, Leia, and uh, some of the other rebels, you know, they're, they arrive and they're on the case. So while Luke and his people create a distraction and engage the ties, surprisingly, it's Princess Leia who is the action hero of this issue. She dons an Adam Strange-like rocket backpack and jets down to the station, and then she makes, like, John McClane, cleans the place out and makes her way to the uh, reactor facility. 
Yippee-ki-yay, motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Guile, she says that. It's right there. <laughs> but Guile has been watching her via the video monitors, and he confronts her. And amazingly, he informs Leia that he has no intention of stopping her. In fact, he himself pulls the lever to start the overload that will destroy the base. Then he seals the room, trapping himself and Leia inside the doomed station. His intent is to take Leia out and demoralize the rebellion, and he's willing to sacrifice himself to accomplish all this. So some quick thinking on Leia's part, utilizing her rocket pack, creates a diversion that knocks Guile silly and allows her to escape. And then outside, she uses a skyhook to snag her passing Y-Wing fighter, which is being piloted by Lando Calrissian, and then they all decide, well, it's time to get the hell off of Galrath because it's going to blow up. So Guile, revived from being hit by the rocket pack, squeezes off a shot as the rebels flee, and he happens to wing Luke's uh, X-Wing fighter. Then he himself flees the planet in a uh, TIE lander before the um, rebel base goes all kablooey in this really nicely drawn panel. I, I like that whole yeah. sequence. And I happen to notice... Just now, that uh, that's actually silent. There's no uh, sound effects caption or anything for that explosion, which is pretty rare for you know, especially for these comics. There's yeah. usually big like wow 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 zoom or there's something. There's often a sound effect for every laser bolt. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Exactly. So it's mission accomplished, and uh, Leia orders the group to set sail for home as a squad of ties closes in on them. The rebels suddenly all escape into hyperspace and are safely away. All of them, that is, except for Luke Skywalker. Damaged by Guile's lucky shot, Luke's ship cannot jump to light speed. He's trapped in a crippled ship with a squadron of ties closing on him and laments that there is never a Han Solo around when you need one. To be continued. Except for all the other times Han Solo was around when he needed him. (laughs) Around when you don't want him. So what'd you think of this one? Well, first of all, let's just say how awesome is it to have Walt Simonson back? Yeah. Jesus. That improves it. The story <laughs> is is it's a little dumb, but it's not it's it's my kind of dumb, you know. It's it's I, I think this is a great one issue story. I think um I don't buy that Guile would sacrifice himself. I think he's tough. He's obviously tough. He's going to get his medicine at the end. But I don't think he would say, I don't, you see, he's like, I'm an Imperial. We're, you know, as if Imperials are like ideologues. Imperials are look out for their own asses. They cover their asses, you know, when it, when it comes right down to it. And I think Guile would have more like figured out, figured out a way to blow up Leia (laughs) and not himself, you know. He's only lucky. That she, you know, she, he obviously sort of wanted that because she used that to trick him to get right. out. You know, she, she said, you know, you might as well leave. I'm, you got me, which is, you know, if somebody said that, I would automatically think they're up to something because that's, nobody's going to say that ever. But those are just minor quibbles. I, I love the art in this. The story's good, just action packed general Star Wars. And, um, Maybe it was because I felt a little beat up after the, you know, I read these right in a row and I was a little beat up after the last one, but I really enjoyed this, you know. I had the exact opposite experience reading this one as I did. 
<laughs> with the last one. One of the best X-wing explosions ever drawn. Yeah, towards you know, towards the middle with a frachow, frachow. And I like Leia's face in there. It's a little strange, but it's. I I just I like the way he draws. I like the way he draws people's faces and eyes. It it really captures the, not just the way the actor you know like Carrie Fisher looked, but just the, the essence of her. You know, the essence of a face she would make. Or something like that. He really gets that right, and yeah, there's lots of uh, lots of spaceships battling each other, and and those look awesome. <laughs> Everything looks awesome. It's just I enjoy. It's 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 not a blockbuster. It's not w- his best work ever, but it's it's good to have him back, and it's 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 damn good. You know, I thought I thought the idea of the rocks that record video, the video recording yeah. rocks is kind of cheesy. And I even, like that idea, though. That's that's why I remembered this story when I started reading it. And, I, you know, when I got to this one in the name, strangely, this this doesn't happen very often either. The name of the story is actually right on the cover. Golrath never forgets. And when I read that, I thought, I wonder if this is that one with the with the rocks that have the, you know, that record stuff. And sure enough, it was. I, I really remembered this one well, because. I gotta disagree. I like this story a lot. I, I think the 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 recording rocks, rather than being cheesy, I think that's actually a really clever science fictiony idea. You know, I mean, it's it's bullshit, but it's still it's well, pretty that's cool. A, that, bullshit, that's the thing. You know? The way, but the the way it works on the way it happens in here is very like sporadic, right? It's like you know they just. You know, the and, and you know it's the guys like, well, my my paperweight was flashing all night. And then the guy going, what? What are you saying? Come on, we're getting that paperweight right. Whatever, you know what I mean? You know, why did that guy all of a sudden be like, no, we have to, you know. And and I love the whole scene where the two troopers are loafing off and all of a sudden they see, you know, rebels doing like drills or something and they think a whole squadron of rebels are rushing them. Right. And they shoot them, you know, and then, you know, they come on. Uh, they look at it, the rocks, and the rocks have little pieces of video on it. Right. Even if that was the case, to be able to like pull like codes and stuff out of that as people were typing them into computers, I just doubt it. I wouldn't think something like that would work that precisely, or stuff. You know, I I could see having ghost images and stuff, but the way it the way it manifests in the story is very just sort of like as a story element they don't really develop it or or give it any kind of real even if it's bullshit science to explain it if they have the bullshit science and then it sticks to it or whatever but there's nothing attached to it so you you don't really you know what i mean you know like a lot of times something like that if you if you do it right it could you it could be i would have hoped maybe if i wanted to spruce this up a little bit that I would use that and somehow use that element of the rocks somehow as a story element later on in here to say get Leia out of a when she's locked in the reactor somehow using the rocks to project something or to record to record something you know heating up a rock and then doing something and then throwing it somewhere where it cooled down so it would project some, you know something like that but they're all just minor quibbles 
and visually this thing is awesome. Yeah. And there's just so many awesome awesome pieces it's hard to even sum up why like where she's where she where they're watching her on video put a hole in the glass. Yeah. You know, blowing a hole in the glass. It's just a simple little sequence. It's very Flash Gordon-y. And I just love the way it's rendered, the way it looks. It it has that feel of watching some, you know, of them watching her through a monitor. Right. I don't, I, I don't know. He he just has this skill of capturing the essence of a scene and making it feel Star Wars-y. Absolutely. Well, I, I like the the facial expressions, the body language. It, it flows and it moves, and it's very cinematic. There's nothing stiff or, or no. rigid about it, which was our main complaint from the, the last story, is that it just doesn't, you know, it was it was functional like a coloring book or something rather well, right. than being dynamic well, and look, exciting. Look at the very first page of this with... With Luke standing trial, that's very Star Wars. That's very Empire Strikes Back composition. Right. It's very composition of like, say, you were on an Imperial ship and with Princess Leia sort of sitting in the Emperor's chair. Really, actually, that's more of a Jedi thing. Come to think of it, but it's sort of like it's it sort of looks more like the cross between a Star Destroyer and um, the Carbonite Chambers area. But it's a very, you know, everybody's sitting rigidly. Luke is posed rigidly. But the scene flows, you know. It has a just compositional strength to it. And the way that he's drawn, say, things like the little tubes at the top that are connecting one part to another, you know, whether they're air tubes or electrical tubes or whatever, they're they're not drawing these characters in a thing. They're drawing them in the Star Wars universe. That last one... The only thing Star Wars universe about it was the spaceships. Right. This, everything, the technology, everything in the background, in the foreground, the way everybody's dressed. It's in, I just it's remembered in one of my world. complaints about that last issue that I totally forgot to write down. Where the hell was Luke's lightsaber through that whole yeah, story? You'd think, I mean, he's a Jedi Knight. Maybe, right. maybe since he was a squire, he thought it was inappropriate to... <laughs> I must wait till I'm a fully, you know, knighted knight before I could use my lightsaber. Yeah, that would have ended that uh, joust pretty damn quick, right? You know, <laughs> no, no, no messing around. Yeah, I think I've got more notes for page one on this issue than I've got for pretty almost the rest of the issue. I've got a <laughs> lot of notes just for page one. First and foremost, I can see right up Princess Leia's dress, and I really, really appreciate that. And I noticed that it's only on this one page because if you look at the way she's sitting in all the rest of the pages here, she's got a full-length gown that she's got coming all the way down to her knees. So why is she uh, showing us the space beaver just on this first page? I, I, I'm not complaining. I'm just, I just it's happened to notice this. Space basic instinct. It's awesome. Oh, I you're right. It. It's like she she's, should... it's like she's sitting on the toilet or something. You're right. <laughs> I didn't even notice it. Yeah, exactly. That she would have had to. Don't worry, babe. With what she's wearing, she would have literally had to pull it up, pull that up, like up to her size. To... She's watching how my balls. Right. That little monitor sitting next to her. All right. Well, we'll take a ten minute break, and we'll be right back with uh, the rest of this comic. <laughs> All right, you you posed a very interesting question earlier. Where the hell is General Dodonna? 
I can't remember the last time we've seen him. Oh, I didn't pose a somebody... question. I guess I just must have reminded you of it because I thought I would say. Well, you brought up Dodonna, so I wrote yeah. it down. Where the <laughs> hell is Dodonna? I think that's. I think that that's a question. I think when we get to I the think main storyline, I think Leah's been avoiding him after. The, <laughs> I think maybe General Dodonna's like getting a little old, and like I don't know if they had space Vi- Viagra back in those days. And Princess Leia, they might have had a very you know sort of awkward moment, and she's just like you know, I think I'm going to stay away oh, from. You know what? I'm going to work the day shift. He can take the night shift, and uh, yeah, we'll work it that way. I'm thinking somewhere there's like a neutral ground cantina somewhere right where both the rebel guys and the imperial guys both kind of hang out bartender gives them shit and make sure that they don't now that's fight an them. internet show that somebody should do and i can just see like like lieutenant guile goes in you know one day and uh he sees dodonna in there and he says hey bill how's it going well i got demoted <laughs> what'd, you, what'd you do i pissed, pissed off darth vader what'd you do i pissed off princess leia you know so, so Dodonna's no longer a general anymore either. He's like Lieutenant Dodonna yeah. now. So that's why we're not seeing him, you know, in the forefront anymore. Somebody should do that. Somebody should develop that into an internet series. You know, the pe- <laughs> like the people who do Chad Vader, the the where Darth, you know, Chad Vader's running a supermarket, right? You know, Darth Vader's younger brother or cousin or whatever. They should do. They should do that. Like some sort of, you know, the the bar, the bar room where all these, you know, rebel and imperial characters can go and get drunk together. That could be really funny. And all the fan fiction people should write a fan fiction story about the affair between Princess Leia and Dodonna. You know, eventually ending in his humiliation when he can't get it up and <laughs> there's no space in space. space there's no Viagra. Space, no one can hear you scream for Viagra. Space Cialis. <laughs> exactly. So then, you know, she has to avoid him for the rest of, you know, and whenever it's the big meetings, whenever they have to blow up a Death Star, it's really awkward because he's you know, like, hey, yeah, we should call each other sometime. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you a hologram one of these days. <laughs> sure. And then he walks away going, oh, I blew it. It's still on page one here. We've got some awkward captioning here. We've got uh, at the rebel base on the planet Arbra, an ex-hero watches a suspended uh, video monitor, keeping his outward appearance calm. But inside, the young man seethes. And I'm just thinking, that's not very Jedi-like to stand there and seethe. Isn't he supposed to be, you know, all in touch with the Force and calm and all that? And then it says, knowing that in a few moments, a decision will be made, a decision that could alter his life or end it. And I'm thinking, damn, are they going to kill him? They're not going to execute Luke Skywalker. <laughs> I'm sorry. That would be just the stu- stupidest thing ever, man. It's just like, all right. Can you imagine Han Solo coming out of Carbonite? Where's Luke? Oh, we have to execute him. him. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. (laughs) All right, page three, next to last panel. Who is the superhero? That dude looks familiar, and I want to say it's like there's a Spider-Man villain or something that looks like that guy, but I, I can't. I can't quite place it, what what the guy's name is. It's like... What are you talking about, page three? Page three, 
next to last panel where where all the rebels are watching Luke shaking General Riken's hand and they're all going, yay, you know, I knew he wasn't such an asshole after all and all that, you know. Oh, right the next guy to with the, the jetpack on? Yeah. There's a He's... superhero that this, or supervillain that this guy looks just like, but oh. I can't remember who it is. But, I mean, he just, just look at him. He's completely out of, he looks like a superhero rather than a, than a rebel guy. He's wearing, like, a jetpack and a little head thing. Yeah. And he's got tights and boots and. He's got his Walkman on. <laughs> and then next to, uh, there's the little R2 unit right there. I don't know if it's supposed to be R2-D2 or not, but there's a little R2 unit. The girl right next to him looks like she's wearing, like, her, her evening gown or yeah. something. Well, that R2, that R2 reminds me of the old, the original R2-D2 toy that figure that you got. Yeah. It totally looks like that, you know? Yeah. With the little head that went click, click, click. Yeah. The little silver head. Well, they ended up they ended up at one point coming out with one that did what this one's doing, where it's got the little pe- right. uh, periscope thing that comes up. They had one that did that at right. one time. That's what that's what reminded me of that. Now, uh, let me see. This is where I start to lose track of what the page count is here. Let's see. It's page. I'm not sure which page. It's, it's the page with the with the troopers lounging that yes. you were talking about. This was a huge deal for me when this issue came out first time we ever saw unhelmeted stormtroopers oh you know you're right and i just thought i never that even that thought of that really awesome because it didn't and happen and they're having smokes too yeah i mean it, it didn't happen much after this either but i remember that this is another reason why this issue always really stood out to me is that up to this point you know, we had been told that they, you know, because I can remember a lot of people thinking after the first Star Wars that the stormtroopers were robots, and there was a lot of stuff in in the the books and magazines and stuff that would come out saying, no, 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 you know, George Lucas says, you know, no, they're human. You're, you know, well, you would hear people. like, and you would hear like there would be like stuff in the, com- I don't know if it was in the comics or the story of, but you know, they would say the laser blast would, or maybe even the novels would hit the stormtrooper, and you know, there would be a twist of metal and plastic and bone and flesh so right yeah they you know there was always always the and what robots ever sit around and go and like got to look at the new T16 right yeah. Yeah, i know some of the other guys were talking about it you know? <laughs> but i i thought this was neat that it actually gives a face to to the faceless stormtroopers they have the names too don't they even like yeah oh is it it was scraper and uh What's the other guy's name? Scraper and they always yeah, have. I know Luffy. it's here somewhere. It's, it's going to be like Claude or something like that. That's going to Carly. That Carly. was Carly. Yeah. Which you know they look enough alike each other, and then they also look a, a bit clonish. I mean, you could you could easily tie it all in. Well, I mean, maybe their clone DNA is starting to get, yeah. starting to run a little, you know, I mean maybe there was something, somebody, who was it? Was it Biblio Mike? Somebody was talking about that, like, maybe as time goes on, that that clone DNA, you know, just starts to wear a little thin and maybe the troop, you know, as time the, the more you start using it, the dumber the the troopers start getting, you know what I mean? <laughs> Well, they started to, you know, it, it was established, too, that, you know, after a, a time, they started to bring in just, you know, recruits and, and right. um, what do you call it, uh, 
conscripts and stuff like that. So these guys might not necessarily even be clones, but I, I just thought that was really neat. You know, I this definitely made a huge impression on me as a kid. You know, reading this series when we when we got this this image, I just remember that being a huge deal. Of holy cow, these these are these are stormtroopers without helmets. You know, it's all sounds very geeky now, but it was it was a, that was a well, big when we were a little then. kid, man. When we were when we were well, we were even like preteens, you know, early teens at this time, you know. I mean, we we were looking for every, you know, we weren't missing any detail. Right. You know, we were pouring over every single detail. You know, I mean, at that age, your geekiness is even geekier than it, you know, it's it's just tweaked out. It's got all that pubescent spazziness to it. <laughs> you were so right about page 10. This is gorgeous. You've got that gorgeous beauty pass of the uh, X-Wings and Y-Wings yes. flying right at us and, like, going over our heads. Then you've got um, Luke and Barbara Streisand up at the top there, and then that. <laughs> well, that, that yeah, that is her nose awesome. is kind of Barbara Streisand yeah, nose, it's... but I sort of like those noses like that. So maybe that's why I like that <laughs> picture. But it is it, good. I mean, look at the detail on Luke, on his helmet and his outfit yeah. and his face. I mean, that's that's like a combination of like Simonson and Williamson. It's yes. just beautiful. It's gorgeous. I really, really like that. I mean, Tom Palmer outdid himself. Well, it on this almost issue. It's at first look, it almost looks a little over detailed, as if the the um, inker might have like done a little too much cross hatchy sort of stuff to it. But right. then you start paying attention to that detail, and it's like, oh, it's layers of plastic of his visor. You know, it's right. Yeah. It's real detail. It's not just fiddly stuff that's added in there, and it's really cool. Yeah, it just as you look at it. It, it becomes cooler and cooler. Yeah, I just point. love that X-wing blowing up. There's, it looks like it. It looks like the center of the X-wing has exploded, and it's just coming apart. You know, from the balance point in the center of it, it's right. amazing. It is. It's awesome. The, the whole page is gorgeous, but I, I especially like the the X-wings flying over, and then the one blowing up is just great. Yeah, awesome page. Now, I, I thought of something, and this may be, unfortunately, this may be me projecting later knowledge into an early story, but the part where, uh, you know, Leia, she, she takes her little jetpacky thing, flies down, and she kicks some stormtrooper ass here, and she sneaks up on two different stormtroopers. I like this whole sequence, although I find it kind of unlikely that Princess Leia would actually do all this stuff. But I got to thinking, should it be possible to to sneak up on a stormtrooper? Because I thought that they were supposed to, part of their helmet thing was like some sort of like array inside where they had like 360 vision and all this gadgetry and shit. Or am I thinking of like later stuff that we would learn later on? Maybe, know? because god damn it, in the movies they didn't act like they had all that. You know, yeah. They would have been a lot better fighters. In the uh, Well, you know, I mean in Jedi we find out they don't have eyes in the back of their head because Han Solo sneaks up behind one. Oh, that's right. Yeah. All it takes is one little twig going snap for him to turn around. So it's obvious they can, you know, they shouldn't be able to hear in those things and Actually, Luke mentions that he can hardly see in that thing at one point, or they mention a couple times right. that they can hardly see in it, but nobody says I could hardly hear in it. So they probably were 
at least had some sort of like microphone enhancement. It would have to. You would have to. You know, that's the thing about the Star Wars stuff is you know, a lot of it wasn't really, you know, stormtroopers are not functional at all. You can ask anybody in a stormtrooper suit how comfortable they are doing right. stuff, you know. So, but it looked damn good. But could you imagine doing a 12-hour shift in your doing real stormtrooper Well, I mean, work? you know, there's there's a difference too. You know, you have to you have to remember between, you know, somebody in the real world that dresses up for the 501st or whatever and, and the what space these materials guys are, of the Yeah, because well, you know, it's supposed to be air conditioned. They're supposed to be able to take a dump in it and it gets recycled and, you know, really? all that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, they're supposed to be able to actually live in the things. They're supposed to be sealed and Well, here here's I guess what I'm getting at is that you know, you read like, uh, say, like the Karen Travis clone trooper books or whatever, and those make the clone thing sound really awesome. Like the helmets, like they've got 360 vision and they've got some sort of version of like the internet where they can access information and stuff. They can talk uh-huh. to each other on private channels. And, uh, you know, they, they've got their own air supply, they've got their own water supply, you know, they've got a recycling filters and air conditioning and all this shit that's inside there. And if that's all some, some form of canon, then that means at some point between, like, say, the Clone Wars and this era we're looking at, what the hell happened? Did they start buying their stuff from, like, a different distributor or something? I mean, all of a sudden it sucks. It's nothing but a, a, a plastic can where you can't hear Princess well, Leia sticking up on you. They you know? Well, they might have started... Spe- well, it's they might have started... They, they might have needed more troops once they had... Once, once they became space dictators, you know, instead of just sort of, like, an alliance of people that meet and govern... Once it becomes a dictatorship, you have to have troops everywhere enforcing your, you know, rule and at least making a display of being there so that people don't start, you know, so you can keep your power. So they probably needed more of them. So maybe, like, if you're going to, like, breed off more of them and faster, maybe you have to start making some... Budgetary cuts? Yeah, like in the brain (laughs) brain department and stuff like that. It was the same. I can't remember who was saying. So somebody said something they heard from one of the explanations for why the droids were so dumb was that somehow they had, you know, since they needed so many of them that they couldn't spend as much money, you know, they had to make compromises on processing power on them, you know, and right. and moved all the processing power into other other things and only made them as intelligent as as they had to be. That could be with the you know with the stormtroopers. By that time, they were like, we we need a uh, we just need a lot of cannon fodder, or maybe by that time they were just sticking you know Joe the space plumber in a spacesuit when he signed up, you know, or in a stormtrooper suit when he'd sign up, or his planet would be taken over and they would use the space draft to <laughs> to get people. Although that begs the question, why aren't there stormtrooper suits with Mon Calamari in them and stuff like that, you know? Because you got to figure. I mean, when you see in the in the prequels how the Empire took over and stuff, the Empire started as the Republic. So right. you got to figure there's a, probably a lot of people in the Republic who aren't operating on the assumption that they're evil, you know, and that I, I can't remember where I'm 
leading with this. <laughs> now that I've talked uh, myself... To, to address one part of it, you know, you were saying, you know, why don't we see Mon Calamari storm, stormtroopers? Yeah. It's because, for one thing, the, the Empire, or the Emperor, rather, had a, a, a very human-centric code, um, you know, where he, he, he didn't like alien races. He's a little race, racist, so yeah. So, yeah, exactly. So, he's you know, they might go to a planet of humans and draft everybody. They might go to the next planet and it's fish people and they become slaves right. or food. Right. Because, I mean, we saw mm, that yeah, like with the Wookiees. You're never, you know, you're never going to see like a like a Wookiee Imperial. You know, the Wookiees were enslaved. They became the labor class, you know, that you sort see, of thing. So. You see, I think if the Emperor would have been into that, I mean, I think you would have had Wookiees. I, I think you would have had like some of the Wookiees on the Wookiee planet would have been like, "Hey, you know, we're with the with the Empire." You know, they would have thought of it still as a republic. You know, so you would have had Mon Calamari in the in the Empire and and stuff like that. But it's weird because in the prequel there are there's the there's the banking you know Federation. There were all those weird different alien groups that sort yeah, of yeah, but he murdered all their leaders. That's true. That's and I true. bet you after they were all murdered, that was probably the next step is now we're going to enslave your people. You yeah, know? you're that, right. That, that Their people may have become the working class or whatever. And, that, and by the time we get to Star Wars, he's winnowed it down to just like people, to just right. be human. Right. Creepy. Awesome. Yeah. Well, speaking of awesome, I love this panel. I've got it listed here as page 14. It's the one of... Uh, Leia actually getting to the reactor. It's the one that's all pipes and curvy-looking yes. machines. That's awesome. Reminds me, once again, I'm bringing up Forbidden Planet again. You yeah. Know, just a, a giant, you know, giant technology. I didn't look it up, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's something, again, out of, like, the Star Wars sketchbook or something. But it's really cool. I, I, I think that's really... I, I just love the... Uh, what do you call that? Zipatone or whatever the shading uh -huh. that's used. It's great. I love that. Yes, especially it, in sometimes that zipatone can look really cheesy, but when it's used like this, it looks especially in sort of like the architectural style of it. It really makes it look like metal and shadows metal, on yeah. metal, and yeah. and you know the perspective. And when you put the little princess lay on it, it's just awesome. You get that full feel of gigantic space. Yeah. It's a giant Star Wars set. Yes. I love it. I love huge sets. It looks like Star, Star Wars. Wars. It looks like the 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 architecture of Star Wars. Yeah. It's once again something you know Walt Simonson got. You got it or you didn't get it. And Walt Simonson that, definitely got it. That panel is everything Star Wars in the way that the panel directly across from it, at the bottom of the next page, isn't because when I saw this flight suit wearing jetpack toting Princess Leia crouching in a corner and there's a freaking wagon <laughs> next to it. It just with a handle with yeah. a wagon yeah, handle it, on it and everything it totally looks like somebody went to the space uh, western auto and, and bought a wagon and I was like come on a wagon why the hell is there a wagon but I mean she ends up using it too which is really funny but I, it just cracked me up when I saw an actual that's wagon that's why there's a wagon there because it was yeah, but you know, you could have had. She could have very well used. You would have think that thought they would have had some sort of just. So, oh, I can't remember. You know what they call them. You yeah, know, like in the big warehouse or whatever type yeah. of thing. And yeah. it, it would be an anti grav one that you just yeah. like. Yeah. You know, and and she could have done the same thing with one of those, but for yeah. some reason, it's a wagon in here. 
<laughs> All right, whatever. <laughs> and uh, page 19, Batman, eat your heart out. I love this where she, she holds up her little whatever that is and the, and the Y-Wing comes along and just scoops her right up. Yeah, and doesn't <laughs> yank her arms out of her sockets. <laughs> Rip her in half, I know it. <laughs> but Batman would do this sort of shit <laughs> all the time on the yeah. animated series. You know, he'd, he'd fire a little grapple thing up in the air and the, the bat wing would come along and, you know, yank him off his feet and carry him away. I love it. Classic That's two frames shit. on the next page with uh, where, uh, what's his name, the Imperial guy there is, takes a shot at Luke where he's just... He's yeah. just sort of sitting there with his hands behind the back, and just on a on a whim, he just is like, boom, and shoots. That's just a very Walt Simonson shot of, of you know, his hand whipping up and and the the light coming out of the laser, sort of circling his eye, his yeah. one eye open and the other eye shut, and the face he's making as he shoots. It's 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 just a little tiny, you know, detail, but it's it's great. I love I love those two. And he yeah. has sort of a crazed half smile on his face, and he's just like, derp, 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 and when he shoots, he's like, Arr! and he rip. does, he gets him, you know, with what, yeah. with his his little crazy shot. <laughs> I couldn't remember if he uh, if he lived or died at the end of this story, so it was cool to see that he he did uh, he did actually take a, his out, and uh, I like that the trend continues of, of sneaking in new kinds of uh, Tie Fighter craft in mm-hmm. this one because it's a like that bug looking Tie Fighter again. I love it. He, he escapes in that, but altogether, I have to say my my grade on this one is it, it was a good story. Great art, yes, and an awesome cliffhanger. I love this because Luke's screwed. He can't go to hyperspace. He's got no backup, and he's totally surrounded by Tie Fighters. Yep. It's a great, and great it's going to even take a while for people to figure out that he didn't show up. You know, right? Yeah. So yeah, and and I'll, I'll add when that when they blow up this thing, it's great because it's. You can see, like, the reactor must have been... It, this thing is like a ball that's, like, sunk halfway into, like, molten lava. Mm-hmm. And the reactor was probably at the base of it, because when it blows up, it's like a giant globe coming up out of the ground, you know, that right. was half buried. It's really neat looking. It reminds me of uh, of Argo City in the, in the old Supergirl mm-hmm. comics, mm-hmm. when it blows up out of there. But uh, I like that uh, you know his little comment about there's never a Han Solo around when you need one. They they tie that in with a little tease that says if you'd like to see Han Solo, check out the 1982 Star Wars annual. And uh, I guess at some point we're, we're maybe we're kind of obligated to get to those annuals, but I'm not in a hurry because I don't remember the first two being any good at all. I, I think- know the. Th- third one kind of sort of ties in at some point so we probably have to do that one but i don't remember that one being good or bad either i just remember the art not being very good in that one i'm gonna have to read them again i think i've got all of those so i can't remember the first two being at all memorable and the the third one the only thing i remember is again i remember the art not being very good but i remember it had something to do with like vader taking an apprentice or something like that but uh, you know that's it, it's vague. It's very vague. My memories on that one, but um, no letter column. But a nice ad for X Men and Teen Titans. Yeah, I was looking at that. We definitely got to do this on a on one of our shows at some point. But I was looking at this. It's a beautiful piece. Of, it's it's the cover basically. Didn't this become the cover to the issue? I think it is. It but it's like says, a wraparound. Uh, yeah, 
It says three villains versus 14 heroes. And I got to thinking, all right, you had Dark Side, Dark Phoenix. Who was who the third villain? I can't remember who the third guy was, but he was just sort of... I believe whoever it was was just almost like a walk-on. You know, they were somebody minor. There was They're not drawn in here, that's for sure. There's no other villains. Was I get, it Deathstroke? Maybe it was Deathstroke. I can't, I honestly I can't remember. I'm gonna have to reread that. There, there was someone. Yeah, I know. I don't remember too much about it. I remember it wasn't that great on story. It was just like sort of a a decent story to string the two franchises together. But the art was gorgeous. Yeah. Walt Simonson art. It was just my favorite kind of Walt Simonson art. What's funny is it. it this very likely was my first X. It was. It was either this one. Or the one where the X-Men fought Dracula was my first X-Men story. But I remember when I initially Oh my god, I forgot this. about that. That That's was awesome. Great. That's awesome. That's still my Kitty favorite X-Men bit. story. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's still my favorite uh, X-Men story. But uh, I remember when I read this, I knew who the Titans were, but I had no idea who the hell the X-Men were. So I actually gained a lot of my knowledge of the X-Men from this book. But uh, yeah, I'd love to cover that at some point because the art is gorgeous in it. But yeah, I, I have the same memories you do. That the story was like, eh, you know, it was your standard superhero mashup. But the art was just gorgeous. Like when uh, Changeling turned himself into a dragon for Kitty and stuff like that it was really cool. It was. It was just at that time period where this was one of those first comics that, like, it came out and instantly became something that we couldn't afford. Right. That was one of those things that I that just like I just lucked upon being able to get that issue. That was that was one of the comics I got at that um at that auction we went to when we were kids. That That's was, right. Yeah, because you got that, it like signed or something, right? It was autographed by everybody. Yeah, everybody. Yeah, I remember by, when that was at the uh, it was at the cigar shop. And your cousin was with us, Ian. And one of us was like crouched down on the floor looking at something. And he started like open. I think it was you. I think he started like open your backpack to like sneak it in there. And the woman at the counter was like sitting right there watching him do it. And I'm just like, dude, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, I do remember that. I was, I mean, I was mortified, you know, because you and I went there all the time. So we knew these people were that trying was, to keep that was a good where we went to, with them. That was where we went to to get our comics in Carthage. That was right. where, that was, yeah. There were other places to get comics, but he was the guy with the, he was the guy with, with the good comics or, you know, right. with a lot of the stuff that we got. He was all Marvel. I remember you being pissed. I, I think well, I think you were like, threatened to like beat the shit out of him or something if I, he ever something like that again. Yeah, because he he was he is the funny thing is is he tried to become a cop later on and yeah he was I he's like there's been a there's been a lot of family uh, stress because I don't like him, never have from the 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 first the first day he came to stay with us one summer. And I understand he was a kid. His parents were getting divorced. Whatever. He came to when we lived out in the solar house, and in that house, you could. It was all open. It was like a barn almost. You know, my dad right. built it from the ground up, and you could go in the living room and you could climb up the wall. You could sort of. You sort of climbed up the piano and onto the wall, and you I could get up that. onto the second floor. 
and like the first day he came to visit you know and we were playing and getting along and i'm like i showed him how you could do that and he instantly ran over and tattled me out to my mom Aunt Lorraine, did you know that Chris was climbing up the wall into his room? And is he supposed to do that? And I was just like, ooh, I don't know if I like you. And then like two days later, we found a family of baby mice. And, you know, we were doing the, you know, it was like a Steven Spielberg moment. It's like, wow, look, baby mice. And we're looking at them and like petting them. I mean, little tiny pink, you know, pink no fur, you know, you're talking an two inches long baby mice little blind you know little cute little mousy things looks at me goes let's kill him <laughs> and uh my father said that that he just heard a crash and then he saw the door to my room bust open and the two of us come tumbling out and with my fists just flying tumbled down the stairs out through we had to get the sighting we had a screen on the sliding glass door right through the screen out into the deck <laughs> beat him out into the <laughs> into the front yard <laughs> <laughs> he don't like that it. guy yeah yeah I, I you know it, it's funny I forgot all about that completely till you reminded me of it and now I remember it yeah completely I was mortified and you know, because I couldn't you know for one thing my reaction was you know like I say it was like dude what the hell are you doing and then I turn around and she's like watching us right. and him doing it. And I'm, you know, it's one of those moments in life where you just, you don't know what to do. It's like, should you try to make an apology because your friend's being an asshole or, you know what I mean? And not, not that he was even our friend. He was just kind of foisted was, on us. They're with know? us but, though. Yeah. But yeah well, there's, it, you know, it was embarrassing. Well, I, I've never forgotten that. Well, there was another element too where, the the way he went about it was almost as if it was our idea. You know what I mean? Or exactly. if he was doing it to go along with us or something. So on top of him trying to rip off of the store that we went to all the time, he was making it look like he was doing it to – and maybe he what? Maybe he thought that's what, you know, he had to do to belong. But I found that insulting too, that he thought right. that like, you know, not that we – not that we um didn't have – haven't – as kids, you know, like scaffold stuff from stores before and stuff. But I mean, literally, this was the store we went to. We went and said hi to the guy. And, you know, we were in there every week when the comics would come in and get our comics. Yeah, that little right. bastard. <laughs> but that was a great comic, though. <laughs> that was a great tangent. Yeah, thank you. Fuck you, Ian, wherever you are. Yeah, last last I heard, he was try he got kicked out of being a cop for psychological reasons. No. And yes, thank God, thank God. And I like breathed the sigh of relief, and my family was like, "Aren't you? Are, isn't that outrageous?" And I'm like, "No, I'm no, not really. That guy did not need any power. <laughs> he did not need a gun. No, no, sir. My other cousin, he's I I trust him with a gun." Not this guy. <laughs> the scary thing is he's probably got kids now, too. Yeah, probably. Ugh. What a thought. <laughs> well, I think that's about all I got this time. I think I think that's about all I got for those. Uh, yeah. So next time around, we're back to... Uh, we'll have three at a time. We'll have three at a time from, from here till uh, Return of the Jedi yeah. now. So that'll be cool. 
Yeah, back into the back into the regular flow, and uh, we will be right back in in just a second with the interview with uh, Jamie Benning of Star Wars Begins. Luke Skywalker was just a farm boy until he received a mysterious message from a princess. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. She's beautiful. Star Wars, starring Mark Hamill. I'm Luke Skywalker. I'm here to rescue you. Aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper? Harrison Ford. Boring conversation anyway. Luke, we're going to I think we took a wrong turn. Carrie Fisher. Good luck. Alec Guinness. You can't win, Darth. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. 20th Century Fox presents the most extraordinary motion picture of all time, Star Wars. Here's where the fun begins. No legendary adventure of the past could be as exciting as this romance of the future. Here they come. May the Force be with you in Star Wars. Hello and welcome back to Star Wars Monthly Monday. Uh, we got a special segment this time. I've um, I've got the creator. I, you know, I, I it's it, I was trying to decide whether I should say director, or editor, but I guess creator is the best way to say it. Of Star Wars Begins and Building Empire and Returning the Jedi, and all I know about you it really is your first name is Jamie. Yes. Hello. Uh, yeah, my first name is Jamie. Second name Benning. And, um, yeah, I, uh, I put these things together. And I just have to say, you do a great job on them. I've been, uh, enjoying these. Now, which was, it was an Empire that came out first that you did first? Yeah, Empire, I started, building Empire, I started back in 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took me about six months to complete that, and it was partially, um, embarked upon because I wanted to learn Apple Final Cut Pro software because um, I work in the television industry and I was trying to, you know, add another string to my bow. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I wanted to get my teeth sunk into a project that I would be motivated to do, you know, and I'm a huge Star Wars fan and uh, I do love the editing process. So I put it together and um, released that. And then I, the next step was to do Returning to Jedi, um, which I completed in about eight months, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the the one that was left, of course, was uh, Star Wars. So I, I started on Star Wars Begins about five years ago, four or five years ago. Um, but in the meantime, I'd had uh, two daughters, uh, you know, moved house, and uh, my career kind of took off as well um, a little bit. So uh, it kind of went on the back burner for a little while. So I had a um, a little bit of a lapse in motivation, you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I finally picked that up again in the last year and, and got it finished um and released just this February, and, and it's gone kind of it's gone kind of global, really, which is weird. Yeah, well, I, I um, you know, it's it's so funny because on the internet and on on the YouTubes and all that stuff. I mean, I I I'm not sure what year it was. It was probably around 2006 or so that I started finding, you know, little little clips of uh, Building Empire, and I'm not even sure if they were something that you put up or somebody had taken and reposted. But I eventually tracked down you know it mu- it must have been your site because they were all there in sequence and um and you know from then on i've been sort of you know you sort of build a picture of 
who you, you know who you think the person is who's who's building it and it's and it's funny sure, yeah. and, uh, um like i was saying before the interview you didn't, I absolutely, you didn't expect it to be a well a british guy did you <laughs> well no well that that it wasn't as much that because on the internet i i have found in in all my travels it like you just it, you know at first it, being an american and being hey hi i'm an american you know i assume everybody else is american if they're speaking english on the internet for a while and you know i've learned that's not true over the years but no i i um what what first started tipping me off that i was completely wrong was uh in in our emails back and forth when um we we set a time today it was you were saying you know uh, you know by that time i'll have the kids put to bed uh, the first yeah. thing i was picturing someone maybe like college age cuz i was thinking right, the amount of energy and time <laughs> that it takes to do a project like this you know it would have to be somebody you know sort of maybe a film student or a media student you know sure and, yeah um, yeah so i got that right you must have been a media student at at some point i was uh i went to uh university here in the uk um whilst i was working full time actually i did a part time course a media production course and i luckily found myself um shortly after that getting a job working in um live television um so uh yeah i do have some of the the kind of discipline that's um needed but i work mostly in a live environment whereas um these projects um stars begins and the others um you know take a lot more consideration and um and and you mold them over and you you know you make tweaks here and there whereas in the live stuff it's just about getting it done and getting it to air as soon as possible um but yeah you're right in thinking that i have do have a bit of a media background but wrong in thinking that i'm a young college guy with loads of time on my hands the thing is i i travel a lot with my job um so i'm able to work on um short sections of the project whilst i'm in the air mm-hmm. on a um, laptop or, uh, or such yeah yeah i've been using a macbook pro um ah, but i also have a, a g5 mac back at e- home so excellent. i come back and i i reincorporate them in and and uh, and continue to work on them but it's diff- it became difficult to do it on the road more and more because the thing was just getting bigger and bigger and mm-hmm. bigger which is why i found less time to spend on it you know with the kids but you know when the kids have gone to bed or or whatever i can you know spend a half an hour an hour on something like this and then you know i am a freelance um uh editor as well so it means that sometimes i go through periods where i'm not working so much um so i could then concentrate a little bit more on on my hobby you know in making these things well it's it's funny it's so humble sounding when you say you know your hobby and and everything like this but um my first impression when i saw this this is sort of my the, the way if if anybody who's listening hasn't seen any of these and um uh, you should you should go right you can go right to youtube and immediately start watching them um it reminded me of um this this uh dvd series of discs uh, the criterion dvds where they would take mm. a movie and you know it, not so much as the like say optimized print or, or anything like that but they would they would really do a lot of work to gather up the background information and there would be a lot of you know ex- the, the the extras wouldn't just be your average you know the the director going oh well this was a fun scene to film here they would really go in depth and mm. on, on their sources and make this really they're they're almost like film school in a DVD package, 
and it, yeah well that was kind of my intention really you know i i was a kind of uh, like you say i was kind of a little bored of the lazy dvd extras yeah. of, you know just as a, a, a almost like promotional material you know saying hey my film's great oh it's great to mm-hmm. work on this great script with these great people you know yeah, and it doesn't and, give and didn't we the have truth fun? about the process mm-hmm. you know and because um, i think filmmaking you know is a, is a very difficult pursuit you know um and especially with a film like Star Wars, there was a lot for George Lucas to go up against. And I don't think that's ever been really portrayed um, in the way it should. So that's kind of what I embarked on with these projects. Well, what I liked about it was, is, is it was, yeah, it was like somebody took their, this Criterion disc and took everything on it and put it all onto the movie at once without it being, a, yeah. I, I don't know if you've ever seen, uh, there's a VHS one TV show here, in America, I, it, I don't know if it's on anymore. It was called Pop Up Video, and they would show videos. Yeah, I've heard and, people talk about it, and stuff mm. would pop up. It was obnoxious, it, mm. and it could have been. And I remember seeing it, going, you know, I could have really liked this because I sort of have a short attention span. I like to see how things go on behind the scene, but it was obnoxious. Yeah. You, you managed to, you know, perform the same function while doing it seamlessly that's that's what the thing i noticed immediately was the films didn't lose their flow of of watching yeah well that was yeah yeah that's very deliberate you know i i think like most star wars fans you know you um, you get used to watching them and you get to those particular visual and uh, sort of audio cues you know you know exactly what's coming next and the idea of these projects was to let you watch the film as you would normally watch it, um, so you could still see most of the things there, hear most of the audio, but you know, occasionally jar the the viewer and think uh, into thinking, "Hey, what's this? I didn't expect this mm-hmm. to come along." You know, um, so be it an alternate take or a, or a deleted scene or a, an outtake blooper, you know, or some kind of text fact that you wouldn't necessarily um, have known yourself. Because there are a lot of um, casual Star Wars fans out there, and I've been getting a lot of messages from people saying that my films have made them forget about the the rest of stars you know the prequels and the clone wars and the books and the toys and everything which for a lot of people has kind of destroyed the franchise especially people who are kind of my age between 30 and 45 who are around you know at the the time of initial release and uh and me and uh you know and they've been kind enough to say that it's brought them back to that um magical time as a kid when when they first watched the film and they obsessed over it and and felt that real sense of um adventure and excitement and magic you know mm-hmm. which is really nice to hear actually mm-hmm. well which brings me to what we always whenever we have a guest on the show um and we're talking about star wars uh, we always ask them what their star wars origin story well what how what what was it that uh when when was the first time you saw if it was the first time that you saw Star Wars it was what hooked you in and yeah well i was um i was born in 76 so i was too young mm. to see mm-hmm. the first film um when it first came out but i was around you know for the empire strikes back and return of the jedi and of course i was surrounded by um all of the um the action figures um and I used to collect those, and of course I played in the play in the in the school playground at lunchtime at, at recess, you know, and uh, pretended to be Luke Skywalker or Han Solo, whoever it might be. And the less popular kids, you know, could be uh, be I don't know Chewbacca and right, Chewbacca's right. brother or something. Um, but uh, you know, it was kind of something that was always around me. I mean, I had the books, I had the toys, and I do remember going to see The Empire Strikes Back. I think it was one of the first films 
I ever saw um, along with I think I saw Superman on a re-release when I was very young as well and then one of the things that I really do remember is for my birthday my parents took me to London to the Dominion Theatre which was the biggest cinema screen um, in the UK at that time to see Return of the Jedi but before we went there they took me to Hamley's which is the, a world famous toy store that's over several floors you know this is predates Toys R Us and everything like that um, it's still there today, but there was an entire floor of Star Wars um, toys. Um, and, you know, for a kid of my age at that point, that was just the most magical thing, you know. So I've always had these really strong memories associated with, you know, a, a kind of more innocent time. Um, and I think that's what, what Star Wars brings back brings back for me. And then as an adult, you know, I or as a, as a teenager, I rediscovered the films on, on VHS and on television and uh you know, bought the bought a few of the books and kind of got back into it again. Um, but as a kid, I remember the first time it was aired on TV over here. I didn't have a um, a VHS VCR or Betamax. I had a I only had an audio cassette player, so I had to go to bed one night when it was on. But I put my little audio cassette recorder up against the speaker, mm-hmm. put a tape in, and press play and record. And I used to listen to that over and over again as a kid. You know, that oh, yeah. was that was like a little storybook for me. You know, so I've always had this. Um, strong connection with the films and uh, it's nice to come full circle as an adult and use my you know my sort of um, editing knowledge to to make something like this for for fans like me because I made it for people like me you know who who you know know a lot about the films but um, would like to see um, something a little bit extra you know something new and it's still and uh, it's great the people who listen to our podcast are going to be laughing as soon as you were talking about putting the the tape recorder up to the tv set because uh <laughs> that was uh that was one of the big things that scott and I, I mean i i believe i probably still have my star wars cassette somewhere around here or two cassettes it took it was on two 90 minute cassettes and yeah uh, i remember i had to get my parents to change change the tape <laughs> and and my friend scott had shoe boxes full of cassettes of every you know he would he mm-hmm. would he would tape them all. I remember listening to the, the there was an especially long edit of Superman that they used to show on TV, and we used to listen to a yeah. cassette of it all the, all the time. And you know, it's it's I, I I love talking to people our age that remember you know the time before the internet and before you know video and media being so ubiquitous to where you know. You, it was, it was like capturing lightning. You had to be in the right place at the right time to, Absolutely, to see something. Yeah, you know, my kids, my kids now will just say, "Daddy, I want to watch," you know, whatever show it might be. And you know, thirty seconds later, they can press on the YouTube link on uh, the the homepage there, and they can, you know, look on the history of YouTube that yeah. that they've looked at and find that show that they want. You know, it's crazy that kids can just demand these things. But as you say, back then we had to bide our time and be ready to pounce when. Uh, when that moment occurred and uh and that that leads me to another question is pretty much i would 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 you say most of the uh, because when i first started um watching um empire um building empire i remember thinking all right okay so all right he's this guy has taken you know audio tracks off the dvd extras and put them on and then i started noticing i'm like i've never heard this interview before you know or uh you know i've never heard this little bit of information before these aren't from the usual you know just general resources you would you would normally get so did you track most of that stuff down i i would assume through the internet right 
Yeah, a lot of it was. Um, I was lucky enough to get in contact with some people on a website called OriginalTrilogy.com who are big fans of the original trilogy and there was a petition set up to get the original trilogy in its original form released on DVD. Um, and they're looking for the same to be released on Blu-ray now. But um, there were some people on there that, like me, had recorded things off of the TV, um, had, around the time of the special edition release in 97, had recorded interviews and things like that. So... They were kind enough to send me some stuff. Um, I'd also recorded some things myself from, from back in the day that I still had hold of and transferred to DVD. So, you know, interviews with members of the cast and crew, because don't forget, this was shot mostly in the UK, um, you know, the studio stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's lots of crew members and a lot of the cast members, I think, have, you know, kind of um, an affectionate um an affection towards the UK and towards their time working on Star Wars. So you'd, you'd hear from people like Mark Hamill, they'd come over and do, um, you know, a re-release premiere or Carrie Fisher would be on a chat show or, you know, George Lucas might appear on a AFI tribute or something like that. So there's all these little snippets everywhere all over the internet. And I felt that it could all be kind of distilled down into one piece, but give an overall picture of, uh, of the film that maybe hasn't been told before. And, and you certainly, and as somebody who's, I'm no stranger to, to video editing, um, you know, just the fact that you maintain the, the beats and the, the feel of the film is, is just most impressive. It's just, it's, it's awesome. It's must've been so much, there must've been so much work and, and toiling over this. Every time I see it, it's, it's that double-edged sword of where. I'm watching it as a fan, and I'm watching it also as somebody who's trying to think of, just like watching the movies, who's trying to think of, as a matter of fact, it sets all these things in play in my brain of, you know, am I, I'm watching it and I'm enjoying the Star Wars-ness of it, but I'm also mm-hmm. breaking down the movie on the Lucas level, but I'm also breaking it down on the, on the Jamie level of having to get all this information, pour through all of it, edit it all down to what you thought was the most interesting or salient point to put in at that at that point and put it all together so it's it's like three monsters, you know, fighting in my head to yeah, decide abs- who's enjoying the absolutely. movie more, which <laughs> the problem is, is a good you, thing. you'll find as well. Yeah, well thank you. That's very kind. I mean the the, the problem I found is that, you know, initially it's quite easy just to say, oh, that is a piece of Luke in this, in the land speeder that goes there, you know, mm-hmm. oh, this is a piece showing, um, bigs, uh, before he gets in his X-wing. Okay. That bit goes there. Um, you know, but after a while it builds up to this massive thing and then you've got to kind of pick and choose on, on what you're going to use. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of seeing all the behind the, the scenes stuff. So very rarely have I, have I cut. Um, any of that out what I would tend to do is maybe slow it down to make it fill up a larger space mm-hmm. or you know just to give the give the pace a bit more of a, a rhythmic um, nature so that as you say it doesn't detract from the pace of the film and the other problem with the audio stuff is that so many of the actors and and um, and the director and the producers say the same stuff again and right. again and again in in so many different interviews, you know, with different TV shows, radio shows, podcasts. Well, you're what have starting you. to do some interviews now, so you're starting to know. Yeah, you're, oh yeah, I'm saying a lot of the same stuff. But you're probably <laughs> getting it more and more refined and and condensed yes. every time you do it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that yeah, so absolutely. But but it is difficult to pick out those those bits and and not to repeat 
Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's nice to hear the repetition. If it's um, say from George Lucas, it's nice to hear the repetition. Maybe over you know a decade or two, you know, because he might say something with a certain naivety as the film's being made, and then he might come full circle and talk about it thirty years later with the same words, you know, but maybe with a different inflection or something. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to um, to have that comparison and that contrast. Well, I'm hoping all this attention. I'm hoping this. Uh gets George Lucas's attention if it hasn't already cuz either he should hire you or he <laughs> should at least pay attention or not even George Lucas but people who put out DVDs who really care about the movie should pay attention to this because this is the kind of thing that I think people want as a DVD ex- I you know I think is was part of your motivation sort of to illustrate like this is this is how I would do a, a DVD extra you know yeah, it was. I mean, I think I've said before, and I, you know, I've said in some of the other interviews that I've done that I just got, I've just got a little bit tired of the the kind of press junket, um, you know, DVD extra. And I think one of the things that inspired me to do this was on the Back to the Future DVD box set, there was a little subtitle track you could put up, which would have little pop-up facts now and again. Um, you know, it might talk about the DeLorean and, and when it was made and how many were made and uh, why they chose to use it or that or something. Or, you know, it might be a reference to a scene might have a reference to another film of um, the director's favorite or something, you know. And it was really interesting to see those things come up. And I thought, you know what, this could be wound up a little bit more. This could be pushed a little bit further. Um, why should a commentary just be audio or just be text? or just be video in a behind the scenes documentary why can't it be all three of those things you know um so i kind of I, it was just an experiment really to see if it worked and it is a very fragmented piece when you when you look at it but somehow uh, with the start and the finish they kind of bookend something that's a little bit more than the um the elements that that make it up you know so that was my intention really and uh, i haven't had any uh, attention from lucasfilm yet and it's it's a difficult thing for them because if they do um, shut me down, as it were, they would be doing their fans a disservice in a way because, you know, I've had lots of hits. A lot of people seem interested in this. It seems to have struck a chord with people. Right. Um, also, if they, if they acknowledged it and maybe praised it, they're in a difficult position within, with regards to copyright. So I don't think I'm going to get uh, official feedback um, from them. You know, I have heard... Well from somebody else that says that this is current my, my stuff is currently going around industrial light and magic oh good um, yeah you see well they see and in america we love a good storyline and and what yeah. a great storyline it would be of like yeah this guy was a fan he put the movies together and you know and you know mm-hmm. i can almost hear george lucas's voice going well you know then we decided you know we should hire him and and <laughs> Yeah, we brought him over the range, yeah, well, t- t- took him through the archives, you know. Yeah, well, that that's kind of the dream, you know. That would be Here, awesome. Jamie, here's the key to the archives. Off you go, yeah. see what you can make out of that. Because the, the guys at ILM, apparently, a couple of them actually worked on the, the, the films themselves, and they said that they've been trawling through their archives, but the stuff they've put together for the Blu-rays doesn't go into as much detail as my stuff and they don't think they they could um because they've not been given the time to do so but um you know who knows maybe one day the the ultra hd release um they may let me uh mm-hmm. go wild in the archives no, yeah and but also at the same point say if if they had been like all right you know when when um 
say after um, Building Empire, they said, okay, you know, we're going to have you do the other two movies. I don't think you would have gotten this. You, you would have been maybe... Not that your movies are are have anything that maybe, say, George Lu- You know, they're like the, the Star Wars that George Lucas doesn't want you to see or anything like that. But they also have our... Um, a pretty and I didn't notice this till the Star Wars one, and it was maybe because I had just watched. Um, have you ever heard of um, uh, was Mr. Plinkett, the Red Letter Media? Yeah, yeah, guy. absolutely, he'd, yeah. I just watched one of his, and he, you know, did this running montage of George Lucas sitting down with his cup of coffee, you know, in front of a yeah. green screen. Yeah, yeah, it's very and, good. Uh, and then the next day, literally, I was watching. You know, I was sort of waiting for all the parts of of this of the Star Wars films to build up so I could watch them in a in a row and I started mm-hmm. watching it and I was noticing man <laughs> he's not having a good time in this in this movie and then when I watched went back and watched Empire and it was pretty much whenever you saw George Lucas on the set the guy looked like he was having a horrible time which is pretty much mostly the job of a director especially if you're doing something is insanely you know involved as a star wars movie but um yeah and 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 in this in the star wars one yeah you really see i mean literally there's that scene where and this was in the documentary that they put on the dvds where he keeps reshooting them running out of the doorway towards the falcon on the death star yeah yeah and uh you know he's like we're gonna do it again and you can see the actors are just like on him they're just like what what yeah, George? Well, and he's like, oh. yeah they're really pushing it with him aren't they you know and you yeah. can see he looks tired and and you know he had a director of um photography um gil taylor who didn't like him and he didn't get on with he had mm. a british crew that wanted to break for tea and would wouldn't give him that extra 10 or 15 minutes he needed at the end of the day mm-hmm. over time because of the the union rules you know and uh, they all thought they were working on some, you know, crappy TV, Doctor Who. TV sci-fi. Yeah. Yeah, Doctor Who. And a lot of people... But then you look at some of the stuff I've put in Styles Begins, you can see why they thought that. You know, with Dave Prowse doing his lines with a West Country accent mm-hmm. and Paul Blake doing his lines um, as Greedo. You know, it does look like a, a low-budget well, um, TV piece. But, you know, they, it just shows what a fantastic job they did with, in post-production with the sound and the music and everything else. And, and, yeah, and when I watch it, I, I, I watch it all the way through, and uh, uh, Star Wars um, really was the only one that was sort of like this. But as I, as you watch them putting together Star Wars and you hear this, you know, the shots without the special effects and the, the, the sound put together and and everything it could have gone and especially the music without the music it could have gone either mm. way it could have been it could have been really bad and you know all the, uh, i mean right up until probably the very end of editing it and putting it together if that you know mix of ingredients hadn't been done just right it could have been a kind of a clunker you know absolutely I think that, you know, a lot of it's down to timing with these things, isn't it? You know, mm. and just uh, the stars were crossed at the right point mm. at the right time. I guess, you know, John Williams was available to do it. And obviously his music had a huge uh, emotional impact on the film. You know, George was up against all these problems and managed to squeeze out a kind of a version of the film that he wanted. But luckily it was better than we could have imagined at the time. You know, um, it would be interesting, wouldn't it, if 
you know, George was in the position he's in now where he could do exactly what he wanted. I wonder what films would, would appear in, with regards to the original trilogy now, you know, if they'd not been made already. Uh, yeah. I think, um, I don't think we would, uh, we would have loved them quite as much. I think the prequels, we might you know, not have had the prequels. Like <laughs> if- as well, who knows? But, you know, I can kind of see why he would want to sit in a, a chair and mm-hmm. point at a green screen and decide to correct things, um, you know, in a in a nice dark room without any people, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, taking the, the Mickey out of him, you know, because those actors did uh, seem to push it a little bit with him, didn't they? You could, uh, yeah. Well, you could almost uh, you could almost see that uh, that yeah that he didn't have total control over his his set and and yeah and you could almost yeah. see Lucasfilm Ranch as being a reaction to all that, just being like, all right, I got the money. I'm building yep, it all exactly, by myself. Yeah. I'll have my own crew, and they'll work till four in the morning if they have to. And yeah, I always get the impression that with the original films, you know, he had people like Gary Kurtz, and he had his wife Marcia Lucas, you know, um, who would would question his decisions and advise mm-hmm. him on things. And I got the impression with the prequels, watching some of the making of documentaries on those, is it's just people standing around waiting to have their designs approved by George, know. you know, with a little tick stamp or an OK stamp or something, you know. And they're all standing there nervously waiting for their big moment when George approves their work. Um, you know, back in the day, he would have had people, you know, he had his contemporaries say saying things like, that's the entry of your villain can you can you not do any better than that you know yeah. made him kind of up his game and and you know thank goodness that those other elements did uh, did arrive in yeah, the shape Harrison of Ford John Williams and calling yeah. the task on his on his dialogue and Alec Guinness absolutely you know rewriting the dialogue so but i i always yep. wonder about that i always wonder if in the prequels if if people had stepped up and said ah, i don't know if yippee is the best idea in the world if you know, I don't. You know, I don't know. I don't know George Lucas at all. I have no idea. You know, would would mm. he have gone into some ego Don't tell me what to. You know, what my Darth Vader can say. You know, I I wonder a lot of that if it gets put on George Lucas and it's more of just the people around him not being <laughs> being non confrontative, but. Um, yeah, I mean, you got the guy's carrying a huge weight around, you know, on his shoulders with the Star Wars franchise. I mean, just I read just this week that the toys alone made five hundred million dollars in two thousand and ten. It's, it's like you when know, your favorite a, band becomes it's a juggernaut. famous. You know, you're, you're seeing yeah. your, you're, you're seeing your band in in the clubs, and it's great, and you know, you get to shake their hand after the show, yeah. and then all of a sudden <laughs> they're playing stadiums. And then the unwashed yeah. masses like him, not just your little group of people, and everybody in the world mm-hmm. likes him, and that band, and all of a sudden has to please everybody instead of just yeah. you know the people who like them for one reason or another. So he's in that he's in that position. So he's gotta you know he's doing that, yeah. trying to make everybody happy and sort of succeeding at it. And basically, I I don't begrudge him that much because i think he's making you know from from what i've seen of kids watching any star wars whether it be the prequels the original or say the tv show you know the clone wars tv show they love it all Mm -hmm. you know no matter what yeah well i'm 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 no lucas hater or anything you know and i think the guy's um 
doing the best he can with with the ability he's got you know it just so happened as i said that i think the first three just had the right combination of everything you know and unfortunately the prequels for me didn't but there are some people that prefer the prequels you know i'm not about to say that george lucas raped my childhood or whatever the line is that people quote on online but you know um I think each to their own, but I see them as two very se- yeah. separate things, well, the well, original trilogy and the prequels, and that's that's fair enough. We'll see 15 or 20 years down the line when the, the people who, who were five years old when they saw episode one grow up and, mm. and how they remember it and and all that, and once it's yeah. passed out, you know... Once all the once anybody who's like those they raped my childhood, those people will be will be in the you know retirement home at that point. They can just write it off to senility or <laughs> old person grumpiness. <laughs> but uh, yeah, as long as it's still making kids happy and it hasn't turned into some weird like propaganda machine or something like that, I'm you know I'm just happy that it 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 can still exist and. And be done. Yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm, I'm and ready inspire for... people to do things, you know. Yeah, and 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 you know what? what the, the problems aside with the trilogy, I did notice it getting you know each movie sort of getting improved and being you know tinkered with by you know. I still hold Lucas as a valid filmmaker. I'm still waiting for him to do some goofy underground film, you know. With that's actor mm-hmm. that's actor based or something, you know, some low budget, you know. Oh, yeah. We'll just take the cameras and we'll go direct it, like the Return of the Sakaka Seven or something. That would that would finally prove it to me that he's still. I still look at him as an independent filmmaker, as an un, maybe yeah. not underground, but independent. So. Mm. No, it's an amazing achievement that he's managed to get himself into that position. You know, I just think that um, it's a shame that he didn't. Um, you know, do what he intended to do, which was to make these very interesting, independent, quirky films. You know, he was he was the sort of quirky one at um, film college, by the sounds of things, and uh, he never really got uh, around to doing that. I think everybody thought that after Return of the Jedi was finished, he would have made enough money to go and do what he wants to do. You know, and he he obviously spent a lot of time in, and money investing in you know. Um, computer games and um, into education and things like that mm-hmm. um, and special effects of course um, that uh, he kind of dropped the ball a little bit and it's a shame that we never actually got to see what he was capable of um, you know outside the Star Wars franchise maybe we will yeah, I, don't know. I was going to say he's still alive so <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. still drawing <laughs> breath so it's still possible but um, mm-hmm. well we're hitting about the half hour mark I don't want to um, take up any more of your your valuable time. I was going to say valuable editing time, but you're a family man, so it's valuable family time. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, I, it's funny, you know, talking about the weight on George Lucas's shoulders. I'm feeling a little bit of weight myself because people are saying, right, what's this guy going to do next? You know, is it going to be Back to the Future or Jaws or Raiders of the Lost? Star? Oh my God. I think the. I never even thought the of answer that. to that. Yeah, well, the, how the hard would one is, of those uh, ones be, though? I mean, where, where? I mean, well, there's I Star Wars stuff. Where's yeah. the group of people who are archiving all the Jaws material? I don't know. You know, know. if it's out I there, I don't think there's the wealth of material. No, I don't think there is, and I think it would just probably be a um, a quick rehash of all the you know the five documentaries that have been made about Indiana Jones, or the three that have been made about Jaws, you know, or Indiana just Jones. ripping the extras off of the. Yeah, you know. there might be enough stuff for Raiders stuff out there. Yeah, I think Raiders is, is probably the most likely. But to be honest, you know, I just want to have a little bit of a rest from this, see yeah. if it takes me um, somewhere sort of professionally. And, you know, I do have 
an intention one day to make a, a proper documentary about um, my grandfather's experiences in World War Two. He was involved with the Russian minesweepers and crossed the Arctic Circle wow. and um, sa saved the crew of a ship that had um, millions of pounds worth of gold on it and you know and, and and his captain went against direct orders and all that kind of stuff so there's a story there to be told for sure because it's not really been told pictorially before but um no, i'm there, just trying to use some of the, the no he died two years ago um and it kind of it spurred me on even more i think to kind of you know um, get his story mm -hmm. not just his story but his involvement in in that in that wider picture I'm trying to use um, a bit of the bit of the motivation and inertia um, that Styles Begins um, success has given me to to make a few um, uh, a few uh, inroads into doing that. So I'm actually flying to the Middle East tomorrow to do some some sporting event work, and um, I'm taking a few books with me um, regarding the subject. So um, I'm trying to swat up a little bit to see if it's even possible. You know, it's not a story that I'm completely familiar with, and there is going to be a lot of research involved, but I think it will be interesting to see if I could pull it off, you know, and it's it's going to be a challenge for me. Have you ever ha and, you have know, you done interviews with, with, with him before? Do you have, like, recorded interviews and stuff like that? I don't, unfortunately. Unfortunately, his um, his experiences were pretty harrowing, you know, and he found it very difficult to talk about in his later years, and he ended up having, um, you know, sort of nightmares about it, having suppressed it for so many years, as so many people yeah. did of that generation, you know. Um but I've been in contact with some people online that are not only enthusiasts but had um, relatives. And there's one guy who's given me his um, father's diary to read. Wow. And, um, you know, there's some amazing stuff. And there are a few books about the subject as well, um, you know, where these people talk about not being able to sleep for months on end because of the ice crashing against the bow of the ship. Um, you know, and they had to continually break ice off of the top of the ship to, to keep the thing moving, you know. And uh, all the time there's the threat of the... German U-boats and the mines in the water, you know. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if I go down the road of maybe a documentary or maybe even write, trying to write a script, I don't know. It's something that I've not really attempted before, but um, it's something I've always kind of wanted to do. And the more people I talk about it, the more people seem to think that there's something there, you know. So so maybe I will. But I'm going to have a little rest first. Yeah, it's a, yeah let it gel and, uh, you know, I mean... I mean, if Lucas does take you to the archives, hey, you know that would even that would that that would definitely point the way towards maybe a, a Raiders of the Lost Ark because I'm sure they've got some stuff sitting around there. But yeah, I mean, I, I if 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 these three movies were all that you've ever done, it's it, you've done a great service to the nerd world. <laughs> Thank you. And, uh, it was, you know, it's my intention to do something for a small group of people, and I didn't realize there'd be this many people into it. I actually um, sort of came out as a um, big Star Wars geek and the creator of these things to my Facebook friends the other day, you know, most of whom had no idea, and some of them had already seen the, my work, some of them had no idea at all and said, How did you find the time to do this? You know, but everyone's been very supportive, I think. Um, I don't think I've had a negative comment yet, really. So that's um, that's that's nice. Well, it's one of those it's one of those things where you know the the enthusiasm that you had for the project comes through on the project. It would be very hard to good, thank to, you, to be down on it when you watch it. It's very it's very energizing to watch. It's 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 done with with respect and love to the original stuff, and it comes at it. At, at at times at angles that that 
you know, myself feeling that I'm like the jaded Star Wars fan, you know, nobody's going to tell me anything mm-hmm. new about Star Wars, you know. The only way I'm going to know is if I could be a fly, or maybe better yet, a ladybug on the wall at, you know, Tunisia <laughs> or whatever. But, uh... Yeah, sure. But you proved me wrong, like, over and over and over again, so... Good, I love being proved it. wrong. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Good, but well, I'm glad you enjoyed it, and I hope your uh, your listeners get the time to uh, to watch it. I keep hearing from people that say, "Oh, I just meant to watch, you know, a, a one minute snippet on YouTube," mm-hmm. and I've been awake for the last three hours watching watching the whole thing, you know, watching, watching the whole thing. Yeah, so well, um, so that's that's nice to hear. Well, to our listeners, I'll, I'll, I'm going to cut and paste a bunch of I'll cut and paste the first part to each movie up on our uh, forum page so you can go right there and that'll get you started right off these are non-profit um projects you know i've i've spent my own money on these and uh you know i've turned down all offers of money for them i mean if work does arise off the back of it for me then i guess i am profiting but at least i'm not directly making money out of yeah. um, somebody's work yeah but it's it's more um, profiting but I'm sure from, a bit torrent will arrive it's more for profiting off hard work than profiting off say the back of somebody else you know as far as yeah sure sure and let's face it you know george george's um profits drawn from star wars profited off the back of um you know kurosawa's work and oh, yeah, uh, yeah. joseph Cam- joseph campbell's work so everything the, the you know is in a big mix yeah. of it's what you make of it you know so um, and i hope it you know i hope it does inspire people to to do their own projects like this you know i had a, a friend of mine that i work with contact me last night and say um you know, you've you've inspired. I'm not really into this stuff, but you've inspired me to get off my lazy backside and you know do something myself as well. You know, so um, if it can do that, then then all well and good. My my fan edit, um, someday, you know, someday project is uh, I want to do um, the 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 remake of King Kong. I want to get that down to a lean, mean. Oh, probably under an hour and a half. I don't know what how long the original King Kong was. Probably about eighty minutes or so. I I, yeah, I, I wanted yeah. to sort of run. I want to edit it sort of almost parallel to the original. You know, follow the the rhythm of the original cool. King Kong. And because cool. I remember seeing it going, there could have been a really muscular short movie. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's the thing I do now. Whenever I watch a film that I'm not really enjoying, I start picking it to pieces yeah, and saying, you know, too. thinking well, that bit could go. That when I saw Indiana Jones four, you know, I, I thought, wow, I'm, I'm not really into this, but I'm sure that bit would could be snipped out and I'd like it more, you know. And um, I actually did a an edit of the Phantom Menace. Um, before I did Building Empire, um, I didn't do it in any decent enough quality to release online or anything, but it ended up being like 62 minutes or something. So, I, I, um, I have a friend who um, did uh, the the Batman and Ro- was it Batman and Robin or Batman Forever, the really terrible one with yeah. Schwarzenegger in it. Yeah, yeah. And he got nice that man, down to yeah. about six, 62 minutes, and it was an okay movie it was kind of an okay campy movie instead of this sort of tooth pulling experience it was yeah it's funny isn't it that films have got this kind of default length you know they can't go over they can't go under by any any huge amount and you know you have people filling time just to get to that to that um duration and then you have people um you know taking things out that should be in there as well and you know, film should be the length it should be. You know, my these things are my my films are longer than the Star Wars films are, 
um, by, I think this one's two hours, 18 minutes, Stars Begins, you know, which is longer than the film quite considerably, but I didn't want to leave anything out. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to leave any of those, you know, those juicy bits of information or behind-the-scenes footage out. So well, I think it, it ends up being what it is. I think a lot of times it also points to, a lot of times when you see a film in the theater, I think a lot of people assume that, that what you see there has been... You know, and sometimes it has been agonized over and fine-tuned perfectly in the editing room. Maybe mm-hmm. you've seen, you know, especially if you're seeing, say, something like Scorsese or Coppola, you know, where they've... But a lot of times, you know, they were sort of fiddling with that movie right up until the end and hurrying, you know, and maybe mm-hmm. hadn't completely done everything that they wanted to do to it before it came out. You know, it's the, the economic sure, I mean... nature of the whole thing. Well, I, you know, I would have liked to have uh, done a bit more work on this, but it kind of been hanging over me for so many years. I just had to get the thing done and out of the way and move on to the next thing. You know, I didn't know it was going to be this popular. You know, as I said, if it had been, I think I would have made it a little bit more polished, maybe, but um, uh, maybe invested some more money in some software and hardware to do so. But, you know, again, it's a product of um, of the circumstances of the time and it's out there now. And, um you know, with all its um, all its mistakes and, and what have you. Warts so, and all. yeah, you know. you're you're the one who sees the yeah. warts, though. Uh, you know, everybody. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm also a musician, and I can't tell you how many times I've been on stage with my band, and we've come off wanting to put a bullet into our brain, going, "Oh my God, can you uh, believe yeah. we just did that?" Yeah. And every and people are, <laughs> and nobody noticed. You know, nobody yeah. had any yeah. idea because they didn't know what our original intention was. But uh, mm-hmm. um. Yeah, they they work for me, and I I can't wait I can't wait to I've been sort of uh, selfishly sitting on telling our listener you know gushing to our listeners about this till after we did the interview, so then I could <laughs> take the opportunity to go and look, and here he is talking to us. Well, you you were the first um, people to contact me with regards to an interview, which was nice. So, oh, um, good. Oh, thanks. Now um, it's on and- record. Ha <laughs> ha. And and you uh, are the last one I'm doing um, for this period of time. So um, I did one a couple of nights ago, and I was hopefully doing one last night, but I didn't uh, make it in the end. I had some some real life going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, so yeah, uh, this should be the this is the longest interview as well. So this could be this could be the definitive interview. Excellent. That's what I like to hear. Or at least you know what. <laughs> Right now, we're putting the stamp on it. Boom, the, the definitive interview. That's what I'm going to title it. <laughs> you need a you need a jingle for that. <laughs> <laughs> I will have one by the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again for being on. Um, um, I, I'd like to keep in contact with you because we like to have people just come on our show and talk Star Wars. You know, so if sure if that'd you, be good. Yeah. If you ever well, feel you know, like geeking out, you know. Without oh, an agenda, just um, we talk a lot. We're we're right now. We're sort of we cover the Star Wars comics that Marvel did, and we talk about mm-hmm. the Clone Wars cartoons a, a, a lot. But mm-hmm. we generally, a lot of times, we like to just break down and and talk about Star Wars or or how Star Wars is affecting geek stuff. So you, yeah, you know, well, you I'll tell you what. Invitation. I'll make you a promise then. I'll- I'll make you a promise. I'll come back and talk to you um, when the Blu-ray release comes out for sure. Excellent. Because um, there'll be some stuff on there that will be a surprise to me probably. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'll come back and we'll, we'll have a chat about that release. All right. Yeah, that's cool. We'll, we'll, we'll go over that a little bit. Awesome. Well, thank you very right. much. 
And you're welcome. It's been a pleasure. And I will I will talk to you soon. And cool. It's and do uh, do mention um, that people can follow me on Twitter. Um, ah. It's at J- at Jamie S W B, and uh, so I'll be posting things on there with regards to the creation of the film. I'll always put links up to the the interviews I've done, including yours, and um, you know you can keep track of uh, what's coming next because yep. you never know. I might uh, there might be a development uh, down the line somewhere. Yep, I'll link you uh, the best, uh, and I'll link you up to his YouTube page, and you can go and subscribe. And every time you watch a segment. Give it the thumbs up <laughs> and leave a comment saying, <laughs> cool. this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, please do. All right. Thanks very much. You're welcome. Thank you. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, Tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Hey guys, it's Scott again with an important message. 
You know, we're all aware of how tough things are right now in our current economy and that many folks are struggling with some very serious, real-world hardships. Well, word reached us, just as we were putting the final touches on this episode, that one of our own, a brother in our community, Alan Leach Jr., desperately needs our help. Faced with a dire situation, he's been forced to put his own personal comic book collection up for sale on eBay. We can all help him by checking out his great selection of top-notch books at very reasonable prices. Just go to our forum, that's located at www.forumforgeeks.com, scroll down to the Two True Freaks section, and click on the thread entitled, A Brother Geek Needs Our Help. There you can find the link to all of Alan's excellent, excellent auctions. Alan thanks you, and I thank you. Presenting the Amazing Spider-Man Classics Podcast Year 2. Starring myself, John Wilson, along with Joshua Bertoni, Donovan Grant, and your favorite guest hosts of the comics podcasting community. Bringing you the classic 1960s adventures of Peter Parker, Mary Jane, Gwen Stacy, and the gang. As told by Stan Lee, John Romita, Don Heck, Jim Mooney, John Buscema, and more. And to kick the year off, we're running a special episode in March with... Uh, uh, hold on, wait a second. Hey there, webheads. Twelve months ago, a very special podcast came onto your iTunes feed. And to celebrate 12 months of that podcast being on your iTunes feed, we thought we'd take you on a special date to the movies. And what a movie it is! Why, it's about our very own webhead spin of Spider-Man, the first installment of Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy, guest starring one of the Power Rangers. Oh boy, we're in for a good time. So strap yourself in, and here's the hosts. This isn't a way a podcast is supposed to work. Peter, you're seeing the Spider-Man Sam Raimi movie without me? Why, no, Betty, I'm seeing it with all my friends, the amazing Spider-Man Classics listeners, and you're invited too. Even Liz Allen? Yes, Betty, even Liz Allen. Okay, as long as Ned can come. You know why I hate you, Leeds? Because you have a right to listen to this episode with Betty. The shadow of Spider-Man isn't standing between your earphones. Episode 28 kicks off the new year with an in-film commentary on the 2002 Sam Raimi Spider-Man film. And then we continue on in future episodes looking at the further adventures of Spider-Man, an amazing Spider-Man, spectacular Spider-Man, and every guest appearance and cameo we can find. Only at Amazing Spider-Man Classics, found on iTunes and at AmazingSpiderMan.Libsyn.com. <laughs>